Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We just spent 20 episodes, 25 episodes, literally tens if not hundreds, hundreds of hours of preparation for the NHL draft, specifically the Detroit Red Wings. We did not have a single word of material prepared for if the Red Wings selected more at side or six overall. We went through the top 12 prospects for our previews and then a bunch of guys who were slated late first round, early second round, so we could be prepared for the second round. (laughs) The Red Wings drafted a grand total of one of those guys and it was in the third round. This is our penance for how wacky and silly and dumb our off-season content has had has been in past years. This is our penance. This is our punishment for getting so far off topic. This is God testing us about our prospecting <laughs> skills. This was a uh, a very 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 color- colorful, very interesting draft weekend. Um, it went completely sideways. For those of you who tuned in on the live stream, you'll see (laughs) we just for the first time watched our reaction (laughs) at pick six and wasn't great. And that video's got way more views than I would hope. Yeah. But here we are. Yeah. You know what? We're going to get into this. Um, I'm happy we had the time to think about it before we recorded. I'm happy we didn't record right away, uh, more so than I ever have been on this show, because uh, my immediate reaction was, you know, shock and a lot of disappointment. You went a solid four minutes without saying a word. I didn't say a pick. single word. And then I turned to you slowly and I said, what? Ryan had nothing to say. That is shocking. Yeah. That is shocking in in itself. I think it was three minutes before I think I finally just took the the pissed off look off my face and went. I'm going to try and be optimistic. And then I didn't say anything for like two minutes after. That was you being optimistic because you didn't say anything negative. But didn't this, doesn't that all mean this all went exactly as we expected? The NHL draft is silly season. It is some Mickey Mouse silliness. And the fact that it all went sideways means it went exactly as planned. Yeah, we spent the whole year talking about, yeah, one and two is set. And then it's chaos after that because everybody from three to 14 was so closely ranked. And now, mind you, as we got closer, there definitely seemed to be factions that started to break off in segments, but it wasn't by a lot. No. Like the difference between a, a Alex Turcott and a Trevor Zegris wasn't like a chasm, but it was very clear that Turcott had broken off from that group. So. We shouldn't be shocked that a team went way off the board. It just so happened it was Detroit. Why uh, couldn't it be Arizona? Again. We have uh, we do have a lot to, to bring you on this podcast. This obviously, as you see now, will be a longer episode. Uh, coming up, we are going to break down every one of the Red Wings picks. We'll go through the first round in general, but we'll focus in on every one of the Red Wings picks, give you a little bit of a background and a profile on these guys, whether it's something that we had before or something that we had to dig up because we never heard of them before. Um, very, very valuable, the pronunciation of names. Yep. The we- Detroit Red Wings are going to be leading the league 
in mispronunciations per 60 yeah, Mickey by Red- a lot. Mickey Redmond was scratching his head quite a bit watching that draft, I'm sure. M- Mickey Redmond threw a ginger ale at his TV. <laughs> uh, and then we the uh, the meat of this episode is we brought on uh, Prashanth Iyer and Max Boltman for uh, another version of that roundtable that we've done in the past, um, which we've been kind of clamoring to do and it there is no better time now than uh, this post-draft episode uh so a lot to come and of course there were some uh trades on day two nothing on day one uh that we're going to cover as well and then by then it might be three in the morning here uh but it'll it will all have been worth it uh so let's start oh i'm ryan hannah i'm brad crisco i'm moritz cider <laughs> You know, I was thinking we're going to have a lot of new listeners for this episode, and so I'm happy that we all said our full names. I'm like, I wonder if Evan will catch on, because I don't want him to make a joke here. That was a much better joke. That was much better than him saying Evan Lopsinger. Who's that? Uh, this is, uh, for for those of you, don't get it wrong, this is a Moritz Cider fan podcast now. I haven't changed my Twitter profile since I did that. Oh, that's right, because you changed it to... Yeah, after once I calmed down and started examining everything, I just went... Host Wingwheel Podcast. This is now a more Cider fan account. <laughs> All right. So let's do it then. Um, the first five picks went more or less as expected or just a few differences. Jack Hughes first overall. Capococco second overall. Uh, Chicago went a little bit different than people were expecting. Um, you know, a lot of people thought, us included, that it was Turcotte was a lock at three. We started to hear whispers um, leading right up to the draft that they were going to take Doc. And they ended up going Kirby Doc third overall. Colorado made away with Bandits with Bowen Byram fourth overall. And then we were hoping, praying beyond all hope that Turcotte would fall, but he did not slip past the LA Kings, who I think got one of the best value picks within the top 10. Uh, Alex Turcotte at five. And then pick six. What we were expecting was Cousins or Pod Colson. What we were hoping for was Zegras first, and then any one of Cousins, Pod Colson, Caulfield, those guys. Um, J.D. Burke. Uh, who's uh, pretty connected out? Like he's a, he's really great prospect guy, and, and he nailed this. Actually, he's the one who put it out there that Vancouver was trying to trade up to pick six, and Detroit was interested in trading back because they wanted more at Cider. Now we know it was Detroit pushing the trade back, not Vancouver pushing the trade up. Yes, um, but we didn't put too much credence into it, not because we didn't think it was uh, untrustworthy. Like I, I believe that Detroit liked more at Cider. But our uh, thought process, or at least mine, was that you wouldn't pick more at Cider at pick six. If you can't trade back, then you can't trade back. You just don't get more at Cider. Lo and behold, Steve Eisman walks up on stage, does not do any of the thank you, Vancouver, for your hospitality and your lack of Ubers. Uh, none of that business. He just says Detroit uh, would like to select that six overall from Mannheim, and my jaw just dropped. <laughs> and Brad's head went instantly into his hands. I've never... Turned off a draft faster. <laughs> uh, Mort Cider. And you could uh, you heard an audible gasp at the draft. You don't hear that. And, and was it listener of the podcast? I, th- I want to say it was Jake. Jake Nagy, yeah. Became f- instantly famous because they cut to his reaction in the stands, which was stunned. stunned. <laughs> uh, he, Jake got reactions from like Dangle. <laughs> Jake clipped... Uh, you guys have clipped our faces from the I almost wish we weren't live streaming that because you know when you're when you're live streaming something and you're live streaming as a fan like we weren't doing that as as analysts we weren't doing that as in any kind of professional capacity it was a fan thing and so we were happy to let the emotions show and <laughs> boy did they ever 
So I have my mouth, my jaw dropped, and I didn't say anything for a lot of minutes. And Brad's face was in his hands quite a bit. And uh, those have been floating around Twitter, um, which, I mean, fair. <laughs> it was my immediate reaction. Yeah. Um, but let's break it down. More at Cider at pick six. Okay. I'm going to start by saying the most important thing. If Moritz Sider was the top the top ranked player on Detroit's draft board at that point in the draft, they did the absolute right thing. You always take the player you believe to be best available when you're picking no matter what. It was second round, but I remember everybody was up in arms about how much they reached for Tyler Bertuzzi in the second round years ago and look how that turned out. We all know nothing. Nobody knows anything. Uh, I've seen a lot of people tweeting at us because we were posting our reactions and our thoughts, et cetera, et cetera, and saying, yeah, but you can't judge this draft until three years from now. Well, you're right. Nobody can judge any draft until years down the road, but that's not fun. So we're going to judge it now. There's one of two ways that this goes for me. The Red Wings picked the player they thought was the best player available. And then I just simply disagree with their draft board. Or they were picking simply to fill in need, in which case I disagree with their philosophy. Oh, they definitely picked for need. I think that it was their best player available, the way they've been talking. Uh, they, the way they talk about it, I think they genuinely think the difference between Cider and, say, Zegris or Cousins wasn't as big as some like the public consensus was. And then they went with a guy that they felt would be better for them. Oh, I... They better be right. That's all it comes down to. Yeah, Stevie's going to wear this if it doesn't This is the shiny metal number one, and we'll see if it's gold or fake in yeah. five years. You know, if, if this turns out to be this, he looks like a genius if this works out. So my my take, I'm Brad, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said that. And I just want to add one more thing as a qualifier before I offer my opinion here. Um, if you're a Red Wings fan, this does not give you a license to absolutely tear apart more at Cider for the rest of time. This kid was very surprised to be drafted as high as he was. <laughs> I think he was the most surprised. He was absolutely <laughs> the most surprised. And he's so endearing and he's so happy and appreciative. Like just it, it legitimately was I was so um I was so happy to see see that it happened to such a great guy and I, like I'm just pumped to have the kid on the team. Um this by no means should put pressure on extra pressure on him. It puts extra pressure on management. Yep. My opinion was that he was not the best player available for Detroit at pick six. That I'm not going to uh, pull any punches on. I had him 23rd on my board. And I don't even. I can't remember. I don't have my laptop this time. It only comes out <laughs> once a year. Yeah, we're not so lucky. No, I had him ranked 23rd on my board, which means with five players left, I had a dozen guys. Or a dozen guys are so ranked ahead of them. Yeah. Um, going back, I would take a lot of them over more at Cider. Sleeping on it, you know, I think he's – I've been talked into ranking him a little bit higher. And especially you'll see um, we ha- in our interview later, Prashanth goes into a little bit of the, uh, the difficulties in evaluating the league he played in. And that makes it harder too. Um, so that could put him higher on the board. But I definitely would have taken Zegers there. Or I would have been thrilled with Cousins. Or I would have been thrilled with Caulfield or even Pod Colson. Um, Sider wasn't my pick. But that's the thing. We are not the decision makers. If their analysis, if their draft team, if their prospect uh, teams, if their amateur scouts say, no, this guy is a huge you know, market inefficiency. People are sleeping on him. He might not be a six overall value. 
but you won't if get you, them at 35. To get no one to dance with you to trade back, you yeah. got to do what you think is best. And if that's taking more Cider at six, then uh, they have to live with that. And that's I'm glad you said that because you're right. You do have to make that decision. If it's you genuinely think that he is your best player, but you can get him later, but you can't trade back, then you do have to take him. But if you think he's not the best player, but you want him still and you can't trade back, my personal philosophy should be then you don't get that player. You have to take the guy with the higher upside, which I think was Zegris, right? Uh, yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, now, Stevie did say publicly, like, we tried. There were no takers. Right. And that's fine. And that's that's fine. That's Because, again, look at the players that were picked between 9, 10. Uh, Vancouver got Pod Colson at 10. Of course they were right to not trade up. They got tremendous value at 10 and did not have to give up any assets and probably got the guy they wanted. And the Wings anyway. probably – wanted a lot more value than Vancouver was willing to give because of how closely ranked three or four to 14 were. Yeah. Yeah. They, it needed to be enough to overcome the fact that, you know, if we're going to drop back four spots and all of a sudden we lose cider and we have to take a Broberg or, or someone else, then we want it to be if worth the, our while. If this was a draft where it was definitively one to six were miles better than seven to, to 31 or even seven to 20, then Yeah. Vancouver would have to find that value, but clearly they were happy with anyone who was still on the board at their pick, and they it panned out for them, hopefully. Yeah. Unfortunately for Detroit and Detroit fans, the tier above, or the tiers above were one to five. They were just outside. Yeah, and six is where it started to get muddy. Yeah, that was uh, that was the biggest shock in the draft, and nothing was going to beat that. The P.K. Subban trade tried to <laughs> definitely tried to dethrone That was it. the next day. That was the next day. Yeah. Uh, we can. We're going to get into it plenty. Um, you know, we're going to talk about it in the interview in a little bit, and uh, an episode we're going to have midweek with someone else. Um, we'll go into it. It was a shock. We were surprised. It wouldn't have been our pick, but we're going to break down what it means for Detroit. Yeah, we'll get we'll get back to more Saturday because we are going to break down every Red Wings pick. Yeah, before we get to the interview, but there was many more picks made in the first round. Oh, do you want to go through like the actual first round? Not right now? all of it, but there were some notable picks that we should highlight. Uh, well, I think Byram. I think Colorado. I actually want to talk about Colorado here. They made out like bandits. They got Bowen Byram at four, which probably was a surprise to them. Um, and then they walked away with Alex Newhook at sixteen. And you could say Alex Newhook was a top ten talent. So you have your top. Uh, you have a potential top six center or number one or number two center, and you have the best defenseman in the draft. Colorado and Colorado is arguably already the best team on the rise in yeah. the NHL right now. They are a team that had a surprise run this year to make the playoffs and then knocked out the West leading Calgary Flames in a gentleman's sweep in the first round. Now they just added Bowen Byram. Kale McCarr is going to play a full season. Uh, Alex Newhook's coming through. I mean, if you want to talk about a team that is just doing everything correctly right now. It's Colorado. Absolutely. It is. Joe Sackick's doing a phenomenal job there. Uh, I think Anaheim got fan- – obviously, I'm a huge Trevor Zegers fan. I-, I think Anaheim got great value with grabbing uh, Trevor Zegers at nine. Uh, shout out to Prashanth, who actually you know predicted that he would fall that far. Um, that was an excellent pick. Um, a pretty weird move, again, from Arizona. They traded up to 11. They, they traded with Philadelphia to select Victor Soderstrom which I thought was exceptionally high for Soderstrom. But that's probably Detroit's fault. Detroit probably set off that flurry of panic draft defenseman picks, right? Well, it happened. The same thing happened last year with centers. 
This draft was a draft that was weak on defensemen. Last year was the draft that was weak on centers. And teams panicked and jumped up and overvalued that position. And like guys like Barrett Hayton get picked fifth overall, which confused everybody. This year it was defensemen. Everybody's like, yeah, conceivably Bowen Byron might go third or fourth overall. And we might not see another defenseman pick till the mid-teens. Well, that didn't happen because we had Cider at eight. Broberg, uh, sorry, Sider six, Broberg at eight, Soderstrom at twelve, and then another run of defensemen. Short, yeah, yeah, shortly thereafter. So I don't know what to make of that, other than it happens every year. Defensemen, yeah. defensemen are so hard to predict, and it's so hard to pick out. Like you, you can more or less pick way, not way easier, but it's easier to pick out who's going to be a top six forward from a draft. With defensemen, if you're not talking about the top-end guys, it's really hard to discern who has the opportunity to pan out later on. Um, and so you want to get your crack at a guy who could be a top-pairing defenseman. And if you're spending a first-round pick on it, you're spending a first-round pick on it. So, so it's sort of going the way of the goalie, how you know if it's not someone who's better than a Spencer Knight, it might be worth it to roll the dice later at this point. No, you 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 ice six defensemen, or you have six or seven defensemen on your team. You can't be as patient as you are with goalies on that. I suppose. But, but here's the thing, too. Even getting to that point to go a little off topic at thirteen, which I called by the way, Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Credit to Flo- Brad. Florida. I mean, that one was that was a bit of a, hey, a, a muffin hot. down the pipe. <laughs> hey, hammered it into the upper deck. Anyways, um, Peter Kochikov and Matt Sogard. We had three goalies go in the top. 40 of this draft, which is very Surprising. unusual. Yeah. Very yeah. unusual. Well, someone asked me, they're like, where do you think guys like Sogard or Kachikov would go? I was like, I don't think they make it out of the third round. But in terms of what they're ranked as, it's hard. It's impossible. Goalies, you can't actually rank. Their just ranking rank is amongst, where the teams pick them, if that makes sense. And just rank them amongst them, the other goalies. Yeah. There's the, there's a reason why you see a lot of lists do skaters and then goalies separately. Because it's so wild. If, it, if a goalie is the best player available, does not mean a team will take it they'll have to need a goalie because it does not make sense to draft a goalie if you don't need one. Um, Do you know what else doesn't make sense? (laughs) A lot of things (laughs) that happen in this draft. And one of the biggest ones that irritated me is that run of defensemen and a goalie going earlier and teams value overvaluing and undervaluing the same stupid things for years led to a nice little windfall for a divisional rival of the Detroit Red Wings. Someone explained to me how the Montreal Canadiens get Cole Caulfield at pick 15. He scored 72 goals this year, and he went at 15. That was a guy I would have been happy with the Red Wings picking at six. And he has the best mentor in Brendan Gallagher. How does uh, – I'm surprised Philly passed on him. They traded back. They could have traded back and still got Cole Caulfield. Cam York's a great pick. Don't get me wrong. I really like Cam York. I think people really fell off the wagon too much on him. I don't think he should have gone after some of the defensemen that went. How do they not take him there at 14? When they said USNTDP, I'm like, oh, there goes Caulfield. Oh, no, wait. Yeah. They're, no, we're wrong. Well, that's another pick. I think Cole Caulfield was – Maybe the best value in the draft at at. Uh, I was also round. surprised how far uh, Arthur Kaliev fell as well. Yeah, he went all the way to three. I think thirty three to the L.A. Kings. Do teams not value goals? We've been through <laughs> this with Alex DeBrinket. We've been through this with Anthony Mantha. These players, they may not turn into fifty goal scores in the NHL, but they produce. That's pretty good value for the first 
40 picks for L.A. Yeah, and didn't L.A., who did they take with their second first-round pick again? Bjorn Fott, which was a reach, I think, at 22. That was a reach, but they still just walked away with... Well, they just saw all the other defensemen get wiped <laughs> yeah. off the board, so... They walked away with Turcotte, who quite possibly could be the second-best center in the draft in a franchise center for them. They walked away with Kaliev, who, if you look at possible production based on relative to where he was picked maybe the steal of the draft and then they walked away with a uh you know one of the best ranked defensemen in the draft they only had to reach for one of those guys it's la la anaheim and sorry la anaheim montreal colorado were probably the winners of the first round relative I to Buff- where they were picking i thought buffalo made a re- yeah i mean i thought buffalo made a really good pick with dylan cousins as well so now they've got Oh, they have to be thrilled with that pick. Their their depth down the middle now is is crazy, and of course they're in the Atlantic. I'm not as high on Dylan Cousins as everybody else, so I was kind of happy to see him go to Buffalo versus a Zegris, a Pod Colson, or a Caulfield. <laughs> Caulfield ended up going to Montreal, but now the average height of the Montreal Canadiens, interestingly enough, is five foot four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're taking the ring to Mordor. <laughs> uh, Anaheim walked away with um, not only Trevor Zegris but Braden Tracy. That was my. That was that was, that was my dream. Yeah, uh, I think Philip Tomasino at twenty four could prove to be really. That was really a good pick. pick. That was thought. a great pick for Nashville. Yeah, um, the- everybody else outside of those kind of went relatively where we expected. There was a few reaches, a few guys that fell, but not dramatically. It was Kaliev, Caulfield that fell way too far, and then. Sider and Broberg probably went higher than they should have. So you know who the biggest loser of the first round is. Ottawa. Ottawa? Yeah, because Colorado walked away with Bowen Byram. Do you make a trade, Brady Kachuk, for Bowen Byram? If I'm who? If you're Ottawa. Oh, yeah, in a heartbeat. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's – obviously, there's no way for them to know. Yeah, but – Hindsight's – 2020. And we don't know. Like, we're... We, yeah, this is, we're projecting these players. We could be 100% wrong about every single player we are... More Sider might end up being the best defenseman in this draft. I wouldn't bet on it, but it might happen. We don't know anything. We're just guessing. That's all prospecting is. So, for anybody who's saying, yeah, but you're forming all these opinions. We don't know anything. You're not going to know anything for three years. Yeah, you're You're right. You're right. But we are still going to form opinions based on what we know now. Yeah, so let's not do NHL draft rankings anymore. I've literally watched hundreds of hours of prospect video over the last year for this draft. I have opinions, okay? Yeah, I think you can make safe assumptions based on previous data. Um, Let's get into the Red Wings pick. So more at Cider at at 6. All the the surprise and the the value aside... uh, Let's talk about what he brings. And I think this was a huge signal flag from Steve Eisman. We didn't notice at the time, but we saw throughout the rest of the draft of what he values. Um, this is a guy who has a really, really high hockey IQ. He plays a smart game. Uh, he plays well both ways. He's obviously way more well-rounded defensively. Uh, he's a very strong defensive defenseman. Uh, he has shown uh, offensive ability, but that's definitely not his strength. His puck skills are average i would say um or don't project to be anything too special um in interviews afterwards he said he's he doesn't bank on this guy being uh, a power play one quarterback but he thinks that he has a lot of room to develop and if his game turns out to be a um you know a strong number two guy or a two to three guy that that's what they think he could be uh play really really responsible hockey while still contributing um offensively basically just the kind of when i talked about more at cider 
uh, in episodes previous when I thought he would go in the second round. I said, I want Moritz Sider to be a Detroit Red Wing because they don't have a defenseman like him. They don't have someone who can do everything. And that's what Moritz Sider is, was drafted to be. And a lot of Red Wings fans, when they saw a six foot four defenseman, the eyes immediately started to roll. This man can skate. He is not the big, slow, prototypical defenseman. Now, there's been a huge trend in the NHL lately of the small, skilled defenseman. If you have a player of equal skill, you take the taller player. So the fact that Mord Sider is six foot four, six foot three, whatever it ended up. Six three, two oh eight at 17, yep. 18 years old. That's not a negative. No. Those Germans, that, man. That's yeah. a very much positive. And this guy, by all accounts, is um a fitness freak the type of guy that enjoys working out lives in the gym so that's never going to be an issue for him really the only question about Moritz Sider as a prospect is what is his offensive ceiling because that's going to determine whether he's a good number three or four guy or potentially a top two guy the puck skills could be there now here's the thing we talk about puck skills for a defenseman it's not a trait that's needed to be a good defenseman do you know who wasn't the flashiest puck handler in the world Nick Lidstrom (laughs) But he was efficient, he made the right play, and he was smart. He had a lot of points, too. <laughs> he had a, no, he had a lot of points, but I'm just saying we shouldn't immediately write more at Sider's offensive ability off because no. he doesn't have those flashy hands or the, like, 100% accurate point shot. This is the last time I'm going to do this because it's a very dangerous road to go down, uh, But you, like, in comparison, comparing Sider to Lidstrom. But you want to know what drew the scouting, uh, amateur scouting in Detroit to Nicholas Lidstrom? His hockey sense. He wasn't the flashiest player. He wasn't the best player on the ice, but they Didn't started scouting him because because yep. of his hockey sense. Yeah, and it's the number one trait I look for in a player, which will you'll notice is a trend as this draft goes on. We talked a lot about it in the interviews later, but the Red Wings put a high emphasis this draft on hockey IQ and compete, which is fantastic. And then you can build from there because Mort Sider is playing little minutes in a professional men's league in Germany. And it's a good league. And yeah, he didn't have many points, but that was largely due to the role. So there may be offensive potential there. That's he was rookie of the year as well. Yeah. That's really something something. that means something. Um, Again, we get into way more detail on this, on the league itself later, but it's not to say there isn't offensive potential there. It's just an unknown at this moment, which is the problem. So the Red Wings might be betting on right now. Well, we know what his hockey sense is, so we can teach this kid to score. We can mm-hmm. teach this kid to run a power play. The rest of the tools there, because even though we preach offense all the time and we love two-way defensemen, do you know what the Red Wings really don't have right now? Any defenseman who can defend. Yeah. Who can use their brain. <laughs> yeah, so Moritz Sider being an elite shutdown defenseman is needed on the Red Wings. Again, I don't believe in drafting for need, but if we're looking at the positives here, this is the exact type of player the Red Wings are so desperately lacking. And also looking at the current group of Red Wings, we could also say, yeah, they don't have much offense there either on that blue line. But with Chalowski coming, with Hironic coming, maybe sorry, Harvey pans out, we can say the offense is in the pipeline. But yeah, I don't think McIsaac or Lindstrom or any of these guys are going to be elite shutdown defensemen. So it they needed one, and here it is. You remove the pick six label from Moritz Sider, and you automatically have an excellent, excellent pick for the Detroit Red Wings. I'm not saying you have to ignore it. Like Brad said, I think Eiserman has to own and wear the where he took him. That's part of the process. That was a big boy pick. It was he he 
had a pair of brass ones there. Oh, yeah. And he made his pick, and you have to respect it. Again, I've gone on the record. It wouldn't have been my pick. But if he genuinely believes that Moritz Sider can be what he, he projects him to be, and Moritz Sider ends up being a top pair defenseman, good for him. That's the right call, and he'll make us all look stupid. Um, it's it, high, It's high risk, high reward. Absolutely. And there's a whole lot of unknown. Prashanth is going to get into this, but there's a whole lot of unknown in terms of scouting, uh, especially from the DEL, Mannheim, where he played in Germany. Um and if so, that's the market efficiency they're cornering. And they realized internally that this was the guy that was the projected to be the best defenseman in the draft. And he was likely to develop into this top pairing guy. Go for it. Again, even though I don't have him rated as my top defenseman in the draft, if we're just looking at the defensive side of the puck, this is the best defenseman in the draft. Yeah, like playing defense, he's that is... he. He's going to be a player, and he's going to be a lock for that, in my mind. He's going to be an excellent defender. He's going to play for the Red Wings. He's going to contribute. We just don't know in what capacity. He could be a number four guy who just eats PK minutes and is just decent on the second pairing. What maybe DeKaiser was meant to be. He could be what DeKaiser is now, or he could absolutely blow up and be uh, someone that we love to see next to Chalosky or Hronik on the first line, on the first pairing. Yeah, well, Hronik's a ready too. So, And it was funny. I was listening to Chris, uh, an interview with Chris Draper today, and he, he's a high on um, – the defense right now, because he even said, yeah, we're pretty set on the right side now between Hronik, Sider, and Tuomisto. And he didn't even mention Gustav Lindstrom at the time. So all of a sudden, what was arguably the biggest weakness in the Red Wing system is now their strength. So Moritz Sider, they took a, a big European uh, defenseman um, who shoots right in their first round. So with their next pick, they took a big European defenseman who shoots right, who is a two-way defender. <laughs> of course. Uh, and that was a, another big surprise. So with pick 35, Kaliev just came off the board. Brent got sniped from them, but Hoaglander was there. And Hoaglander was uh, pegged as the guy who had um, the best hands in the draft. Um, maybe the highest, like, pure raw hockey skill guy in the draft. Um, Vancouver got him at 40, which I thought was an awesome value for them. He was, Hoaglander was my pick behind Brink and Kaliev. Uh, and they ended up going with Antti Tomisto, uh, who went about 60 spots ahead of where someone like Pronman would have had him. Uh, there were a lot of rankings I did see that had him rated in the second round. Okay. Later in the second round, I think I seen him as high as 54, I believe, on one. So it was a bit of a reach. But again, this was the draft, and we said this a lot. We said it about picks 3 through 14. And everybody said 25 to 60 in this draft is a crapshoot and they are all interchangeable. So should we be really surprised that Detroit reached down the board at this point? No, a lot of teams did in the second round and that's what we expected. Again, it just happened to be Detroit to do it. So who is Antti Tuomisto? Biggest strength. Hockey IQ. Mm -hmm. Thinks the game very well. Great mover of the puck. His skating is a big question mark, which is why he was not up in the same category as Moritz Sider. Um, it's not poor, but it's not a strength. His lateral movement is not great. He's got a heavy shot. So where one of the one of the areas where Sider lacked is a strength for Tuomisto. He could be capable again of running a second unit power play in theory. Uh, he plays with more of an edge. He was suspended, I believe, for part of the U18s. Was he actually? Yeah, he took someone's knee out. <laughs> um, well, that'll do it. But uh, hey, that does not that it's a good thing, but it does speak to his compete level, um, which was another theme of the Red Wings draft. Hockey IQ and compete, 
check, check with Tuomisto. Again, this is the type of pick that I like teams to make at this point in the draft. Again, much like Sider, was this the pick I would have made here? No. Do I like the player? Yes. Um, with Tuomisto, something that I really liked, especially after uh, I, I looked in a little bit more into him and found what limited tape I could. Um, he's a big guy. He's 6'4". He's even bigger than Moritz Sider. Um, and he uses that to his advantage. The reason guys like Zidane Chara or more reasonably like a Colton Pareko, who's another big guy, is such an effective defender is because he uses his size to his advantage, specifically using his stick to break up plays. Get your stick into lanes, poke check people from outside of where they think their gap control is um, and do it effectively to break a play before it even happens or break up a play where the defender or the guy in, in the offensive zone thinks he's uh, safer, has more space than he does. You couple that with the um, fact that he's very good at his gap control, which you don't even have to be when you're, when you're that big. You have a little bit of leeway, but he is very efficient with his gap control. That means he can be a really good defend, uh, defender. Again, the pace, the skating, um, the offensive upside is not necessarily all there, but you have a guy with high hockey IQ who's great at defending. That is another home run swing. Wouldn't have been my pick at 35, but after the, you know 35, I had one guy. And if you can only think of one guy to draft at 35, it means whoever you're thinking of is likely to be not what's going to happen. And so I wasn't expecting Hoaglander to be picked. Um, I was expecting a forward, though, legitimately. I but was, hey, but don't pick by need. No. So I respect it. Uh, and that gives, that brings us to the second pick in the second round, which admittedly did bring me some relief because I was concerned about, you know, leaving a lot of offensive talent on the board. So Detroit took uh, Robert Mastro Simone um, from Chicago in the USHL, um, a guy with a ton of offensive upside and probably their best offensive, well, not their best offensive value pick, but their only real like first round talent that they got outside of the first round. Um that they they were able to snag with pick 54, their second of three second round picks. So that that to me was one that admittedly brought a lot of relief. Two, two of his biggest strengths as a hockey player. Say it with me, Ryan. Hockey IQ and compete. Hockey, oh, I didn't know what the second one was going to be. I was going to say hockey IQ. <laughs> no, Master Simone, he's a, he plays the game hard. Now, yeah. to, to get into it, he is, for all the puck skills, the first two <laughs> players picked, uh, didn't have a master Simone has it. This guy has a heavy, accurate shot. The shooter shoot, man, and this guy falls into that category, had more goals and assists in the USHL this year. I believe he had 31 in 54 or something mm-hmm. similar to that. Um, but again, also a good playmaker. He had 28 assists, I believe. His skating's a big concern. He does not get around the ice very well. Um I'll say slightly below average skater, but again, as we talk about in the interview later on, if his skating improves, they have a they have a real player here. And again, every second round, if you overall average out the second round, it's a forty four percent chance of getting a player. Yeah, of like not an impact player, just a guy who plays a regular shift. Because remember, everything outside of the first round, you're just swinging. So odd state that one point four of Detroit's three second round picks will play in the NHL or something like that. So um, you take your swings, you hope the skating improves. And if it does, he could be lethal in the power play and contribute in maybe a second or third line offensive role. Um, I, I'm really excited about Master Simone. Well, like you covered his inefficiencies first, which is his skating. And when you're that small, you would hope to have that ability to kind of separate from the play. But his... Uh, his hockey IQ is really high and the way he demonstrates that is through his creativity and his playmaking, which I think is a phenomenal 
uh, asset to have when you're also an excellent shooter. Like, this isn't a guy that's lacking in one specific area of his offensive game. Um, the fact that he can generate plays and, and find plays that other guys might not have the vision to, to see is really, really exciting. He's not a centerman. And so that's probably the only knock you could find against him offensively is that he's doing this from the left wing. Um, another big signal flag pick, though. This is a guy who gives it 100%, and they made a point of talking about that with him. Uh, I think Hakan Anderson said, Eisenman was very strict. I only want guys who are going to give 110 every shift. Master Simone is uh, the embodiment of that. They are not taking guys with uh, character issues or guys who won't give a lot of compete, which makes me think that they wouldn't have taken Kaliev if he was there. Um, Master Simone and a lot of the other picks are known to be guys who empty the tank on every single shift, which is something, again, I know I've come out against valuing that over things like actual like raw skill but it is something to be excited for because uh, it generally means to a higher uh, likelihood of panning out as a player how good that player is is a different question but still uh their next pick was another one that was a little bit um off the border a little bit sooner it was albert johansson out of sweden um a little bit short at only six feet <laughs> oh man that's yeah. the shortest defenseman they've taken so far yeah uh, and so that was another one where I had to kind of look up uh, a little bit more about his draft profile. But again, another guy who's known to be a two-way defender with high hockey sense. Very, uh, He's a strong skater. Yeah. very. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, uh, a few reports mentioned about him, very cool under pressure. Yes. Almost like he's looking past the four checker. Um, again, high, high hockey IQ. Um, he's thin. He's like six feet, 165. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So he's got some room to fill out so he can get stronger, which will, uh, in theory, improve his defending. He's one of these guys where he doesn't – the scouting reports don't really have an outstanding flaw on him. His defending could be a little better. Uh, his shot could be a little better. But makes the right plays. Strong overall game. Again, a good pick for the second round because the tools are there. And the area for improvement – it's reasonable to assume that there should be improvement there. So they might have a player here. This is the guy out of everybody they picked outside of the first round that could have the biggest rise. Yes. Yeah. I'm happy you said that because it's he if you're talking about guys where you take them and uh, that's a swing at a defenseman that projects or ends up landing way ahead of their projections. That's someone to keep an eye on. You have someone with high hockey sense who is also a great skater like he is. That's a great foundation to work on. So, yeah, that's he's someone who has, stands to gain quite a bit. That was my first inkling of, oh, Eisman is not happy with the defensive pipeline in Detroit. He is restocking everything. If I'm a really sorry, Yarvi, if I'm a, um, eh, Hicketts is probably going to be a more or less a career HLer. Um, you know, but if I'm a sorry, Yarvi type, I'm sweating now. These are the guys that he's putting under their seats to, to warm them up. Um, their next pick was one that we are all very excited about. Um, he's someone that we've talked about on this podcast before. The only one that we, we did it. Right. We did it. We nailed it. We, we did previewed it. it. <laughs> uh, Albert, we, we previously mispronounced his name, uh, not just once, but twice. Um, but it's Albin Greve. We said, I first said Albin Gruy, and then it was Albin Greve. Thanks for nothing, Max. Uh, and then uh, we it, it's Albin Greva out of uh, Sweden, uh, Jir Garden. Of course. Mini Brad Marchand. That's not untrue. Yeah. He is. He had, what was it, 102 penalty <laughs> minutes in 30-something games. <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, he was also well over a point per game. 
He's not the quickest player, but he's not a bad skater. He's a strong skater, but he's not a burner. Mm-hmm. Really good shot, really good hands. Honestly, when you look at a Brad Marchand, is there a, a specific skill of his that you say really stands out? No, not really, but he puts everything together well, and he's a smart player. Albin Greva. So th- this is, to me, probably my favorite pick out of the first round because I I legitimately think this guy's going to be an S- NHLer. Third round? Third round, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, um, third round, 66th overall. Yeah. If we wanted to go to more of a, a Detroit comparison, this is Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. And not far off where Tyler Bertuzzi was picked. Um, there's There was one video or GIF floating around Twitter after he was picked of a highlight reel goal where he literally undressed the defenseman on the outside of his off wing with a backhand toe drag and then wet fake cutting to the front. And when he pulled the puck from his back into his forehand, the goalie pulled off his post and he shelved it short side. So this isn't Patrick Hornfist, who's just a specialist who parks his ass in front of the net and whacks and rebounds. No, this isn't Thomas Holmstrom. This is a guy who can legitimately play the game of hockey in a physical sense and a skill sense. So, this is a pick to really, truly be excited about because he was one of our targets for Detroit at 35. If he's um, if he's a guy who makes the team, he will be an immediate fan favorite. You're going to see a lot of Grave jerseys. He, oh, yeah. He's got that lunch pail appeal kind of thing. Oh, yeah. He'll lay a big hit, dangle someone, and then snipe a top corner. Like, that is his bread and butter. I, Brian, I know you compare him to Tyler Bertuzzi, but I think his raw skills are even higher than Tyler Bertuzzi's. Yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi doesn't have the puck skills Grave does. No. So. Um so, I mean, knows? Tyler Bertuzzi has worked his absolute uh, butt off to make it to where he is, and he, I think, has overachieved. So, Grava has a lot of work to even reach that level. Yeah. But the fact that we're using that as a comparable is a great value at pick 66. And he's only 5'11", but wow. he's a, he's 190-something pounds. But my favorite thing that I heard to describe Grava is what nickname his coach in Sweden bestowed upon him. What? And why. He is the T-Rex. Because he is at the top of the food chain. <laughs> oh, that's that is so endearingly Swedish. <laughs> uh, no, that that was my favorite. Uh, that was probably my favorite pick of the day. Um, I think I tweeted out uh, Grave at pick sixty six would be awesome, and I tweeted out like three seconds before the pick happened, and I immediately had like ten replies. Like ah, I was like, oh, that is a great pick. Uh, their next pick was another one where I really, really, really loved the swing that they took there. It was Ethan Phillips, um, Canadian player who plays in the U- who plays for U- Sioux Falls in the USHL, the championship uh, USHL team in Sioux Falls. Um, five foot nine, one hundred fifty pounds, centerman with a ton of talent, a ton of skill, great speed. Uh, high hockey IQ, high hockey IQ, high compete. Uh, he billeted with, or I can't remember if he billeted with or they billeted with him, Zadina and Heesher. Heesher, yep. Uh, Ethan Phillips' family was Philip Zadina's billet family. I don't know if Phillips was there at the time. He might have already been in Sioux Falls. I didn't look that deep into it, but hey. No, he went to Sioux Falls, I think, halfway through the season. There we go. We have a Detroit connection already. Yeah. Um, he, his biggest knock is that he's small, but he's not strong for his size. So he does get pushed off the puck. He recognizes that. In his interview, he talked about the fact he's like, yeah, I want to put on weight and put on muscle. But he's like, I also want to get stronger for my size. He's like, I'm not just going to become a huge guy and all of a sudden be impossible to knock off because of my size. I want to get stronger for my weight. So the fact that he's focusing on that. He's it, got a lot of room to grow because he's he's almost the same height as me and I have 25 pounds on him. And I'm not what would you would call jacked. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do love that pick. It's definitely a project pick. Ethan Phillips, in my mind, is either going to be a great, like, you know, a, a top six player. 
or a top six NHLer or not make it at all. Not guaranteed, but with a guy like that, if he puts everything together and can put together the strength, he has so much skill that he could be so effective if he pans out. But it's a it's high risk, high reward. This is what you get at once you get past the third round of the draft. The oh, guys yeah. you are picking have major flaws. These are no longer like an anti Tuamisto. We think we hope his skating gets a little better. This is no. This guy's got a massive his hurdle dad to overcome. Still ties his skates. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a massive hurdle to overcome, and but hey, guys, do it. It happens. It's rare. 10% of picks after the second round, I think, is the stats turn into regular NHLers. So the kid's fighting a huge uphill battle. Yeah. But he is highly, highly skilled, and he plays the game mega fast. Sure. Let's hope. Uh, small aside here. Ethan Phillips was the only center taken by the Red Wings in the draft. What does that say about two things? Valeno and Athanasiu. Or does it say nothing because they were taking best player available? Okay, because it's it's pointless to draft for need past the second round because these guys aren't likely to pan out, so you can't bet on it. Uh, moving into the uh, sorry, we're moving into the fifth round here. The Red Wings only had one fifth round pick as well. They had to, um, but they traded back. Oh yeah, that's right. Cooper Moore is someone that they took out of uh, high school in the states. I think his school is Brunswick prep it was in connecticut um i had no read on this guy i had to go look it up yeah things i heard about cooper moore before the draft and nailed the wheel podcast everyone nailed the evan dramatic pause evan you did great you're getting there. better brad <laughs> you still have some things to work on with it but it's getting better uh cooper moore is a phenomenal skater great stride and actually has a decent shot as well and high compete level not a guy with a ton of hockey IQ. I think his uh, defending needs some work, but really, really great skating, really, really great compete level, and has shown offensive ability. See, here's what I like about late round picks also, too. Now, this is kind of something I steal from the NFL and philosophy, is when you look in the NFL draft, you're not picking someone out of Alabama in the fifth round because you know what they are. Like, if they weren't drafted in the first four rounds, it's because they're not very good and we've had a lot of exposure. The guys that end up hitting in the late rounds of the NFL draft are the guys from small schools like Fred Jackson drafted out of Coo College, right? There's not a lot of reads on him. There's a lot of unknowns, but the the tools are there. Cooper Moore is playing in a nothing league right now. Not that high school hockey isn't nothing, but he's playing at a very low level, but has all the tools. So you hope that these tools follow him to the higher level. I'd say they won't, but if they do, again, it's a home run swing. There was a story um, that was circulating after they picked him about why he ended up on a lot of teams' drafts radars. There was a, a game he was playing where his team was down by three goals with like only a handful of minutes left in the third period, and he shoveled in three goals in 44 seconds as a defenseman to tie the game. Now, the cool part of the story is not only scoring three goals to tie the game late in the third, it's that he already had the first three goals of the game for his team. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good setup, Brad. I appreciated that one. He had a six-goal game as a defenseman. Like That's the stuff you look for at the lower levels. Not just is he good, but we want to see him have moments where he absolutely dominates at pick 128 you are never going to find a defenseman that's already projected highly you have to take the project pick that's what cooper moore is are you likely to ever see him in the nhl the obvious answer to that question doesn't even need to be set out on air right now i love the project pick there 
Great. That's what you have to do. Uh, pay first of the two sixth round picks, Elmer Soderblom out of Sweden, uh, smaller guy at six foot six, two hundred and nineteen pounds. Um, <laughs> guy is thick. Yeah, that's a oh lordy coming. And you know what? Seventeen years old, eighteen now. That is an apt phrase because apparently what he loves to do is he has he has really good puck skills for his size, and he loves to carry the puck to the net, not crash the net like stick handle to the net and i can only imagine as a goalie seeing a guy who's closer to seven feet than not aptly carry the puck towards you going oh god hulk score (laughs) yeah um really really again that if that's a guy that can put some other things together um become a little bit more of an effective player i don't uh, not someone i had a great read on beforehand yeah you pick tools late in this round and his tool is big yeah (laughs) big and a great stick handler that is unique and that is a good foundation to work on he's six six two (laughs) twenty That's a big boy. round of applause for his mother. <laughs> um, Chris Peters says uh, that Detroit landed one of his favorite sleepers. Um, he has a lot of work to do, but he's six foot six or six foot seven. Good hands and skate pretty skates pretty well. I, I will pick that 10 times out of 10 in the sixth round. Um, if he makes it, he won't be soon. Again, a lot of areas of his game to work on, but has a lot to work with. So that was another one where I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. That's a great project. Um, Detroit, uh, decided that they weren't done taking defensemen and with their second, uh, sixth round pick, they took Gustav Berglund also out of Sweden, uh, from Forlunda's U18 team. Late riser. Awful first half of the season and then started training harder and started progressing. All the same things we said about the defenseman earlier. He's just not as big, but smart, calm, good skater. Just the talent levels lesser than everybody that was picked before him. So you just keep hoping because he was a late riser that the rise is still going to happen for a couple more years. All right. This is a question for Evan. Brad, don't spoil it. Oh, uh, Evan, think of a notable player who was selected late sixth or seventh round. Oh, God. Out of uh, I'm going to butcher this. Oh, I know uh, who it is. Yekaterinburg out of Russia. It's Yeshay. Oh, shit. I looked it up. <laughs> I looked this one up. Are you trying to remember his name or the other player? It's his trying- last name. It's oh, his last yeah. name. It's he. Kirill, we're talking it's right the, now about Kirill Chuchev. Yeah. He played Chuchiev. for the team Chuchiev. that Datsuk just signed. Yes. There we go. Yeah, that was yeah. it. That's, that's, that's How do you pronounce hometown. it again? Uh, Chuchev. It's T Y U T Y A Y E V. Did I just pull that off? It's you just my nailed head. that. That's the most impressive I've been with you in my life. Wow. <laughs> so if we're not sponsored by Hooked on Phonics soon. <laughs> they're doing okay. it wrong. The Red Wings are going for the most mispronunciations per 60 in the league. But um, so, yeah, it's like Chuchiev. But instead of saying T, you say it like a CH. So uh, comparing Moritz Sider to one of the greatest defensemen of all time wasn't enough. We are now comparing Detroit's seventh round pick to one of the greatest uh, forwards in, uh, in Detroit's history and possibly of all time in Pavel Datsuk. Uh, so he, he's he's a little different from Pavel Datsuk. Uh, we'll start with the fact that he's 146 pounds as an yes. overager in the draft. Oh, this is what I ruined you on Twitter about. Yeah, <laughs> I got bodied there. Yeah. I saw that. I was like, oh, Evan, come on, what? man. What I missed? What was your tweet? It was something like he's 5'9", 140 oh, pounds. Oh, no, that was about Ethan Phillips. Oh. I said he's going to have to put on weight, though, if he wants to make it. Uh, he's really small or something like that. And I was like, Ryan, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. I, I teed that one up for him. But yeah, so um, Tuchiev played in the top Russian Junior League, the MHL, mm-hmm. and put up 60 points in 60 games. 
the dude can produce some offense. He's quick, fast, skilled. Um, this he Draper was saying he was the reason the Red Wings traded back when they had the offer earlier because apparently they were looking at him in the fifth or sixth round, but figured they could get him in the seventh, trade back for some value, and picked him anyway. Again, it's uh, it's the 2019 Otto Kevin Mackey. Yeah, and you know what? Otto Kevin Mackey's pacing well, so if this is a Hakan Anderson pick or if this is their Kevin Mackey style oh, pick, love it. He's it was it was Hakan Anderson and their Russian scout. Um, oh yeah, text. Uh, Draper was saying he he got a text from them about Chuchiev while he was at the Memorial Cup. So, <laughs> but I love that they do this every year. It inspires a lot of confidence. You can never hold this guy to making the NHL. You can't ever do that with a seventh round pick. But if but he damn makes it, it, he's gonna make it. Yeah, Prashant had a really interesting um, statistic with Chuchiev uh, yeah. in terms of his projection. So in the interview, pay close attention to that. Uh, and their last pick, uh, one directly afterwards, the second seventh round pick at one ninety one was Carter Guylander, uh, goalie out of the AJHL, uh, Canadian, not from the CHL though, six foot five. Goaltender. That was their goalie pick of the year. And they said he's pretty athletic for his size. So if you're picking in the seventh round, a six foot five athletic goalie is a good starting point. Yeah. You're not going to get Spencer Knight. You didn't get Sogard. You didn't get um, uh, his name's escaping me. Uh, Kachikov. Kachikov. Um, yeah. And if you want to take your pick. Yeah. Take the six foot five goalie. That's yeah, athletic. Why not? why not? You already have Philip Larson and Keith Petroselli and Jesper Elias and whatever. We'll so, go for it. Maybe he pans out. Maybe he doesn't. I believe he's a Colgate commit, but he's spending another year in the AJHL first. I'm going to say this before we get into draft grades. I'm going to speak for all of us here. This draft went completely in a different direction than what we were expecting in a lot of ways. But at the same time, we also weren't expecting anything specific from the second round or the middle of the second round later because you can't ever predict that. So for anybody who's disappointed because it didn't go how maybe we were talking about it or how we thought it would go, welcome to the drafting. It's silly season. That aside, considering everything, I want you to give your best pick, your least favorite pick, and an overall draft grade. Okay. You can start. I can start? Yeah. All right. Best pick for value. I'm going to go... Albin Greva, because I think he's a strong candidate to actually play a regular shift in the NHL, can play up and down the lineup, can contribute some offense. And he was actually only drafted five picks off of where Brad Marchand was drafted. So a lot of comparables there. That is fantastic. Um, My least favorite pick. Honestly, I didn't massively hate anything the Red Wings did. Obviously, Sider was a reach, but he's a really good player, so I'm definitely not going with him for this. I am going to go with Tuomisto simply because Hoaglander was there. Evan, or do you want me to go first? You can go. Um, my favorite pick is difficult. I, Every, I think everyone is expecting was expecting on this episode a blow up about Cider. And here's the thing. We went on air talking about how we wanted Cider to be a Red Wing. <laughs> like that was a big fat silver lining was that we wanted more at Cider to be a Red Wing. At 35. At 35. <laughs> so my, when I have to pick a least favorite pick, if I'm not going to do my, – my answer is going to be to me still because I think they could have got Hoaglander there and they probably could have still had him at the spot where they took uh, Master Simone. If I'm not going to pick that – then I would have to say my least favorite would be passing up on a chance to get a number one overall center. And if Zegers turns out to be a superstar, but 
take that with the biggest, fattest grain of salt you can find because I do love more at Cider as a player, and I can't tell you how thrilled I am that he ended up in a Red Wings jersey. Um, that is putting the pick value aside. And he's just so endearing. I've only known, oh, God, I've only yeah. been paying attention to Mort Sider really, truly for 48 hours, but I'm comfortable saying I would die for him. Best play, best hair on the team. And that's enough to make it worth Tyler it. Tyler Bertuzzi is going to have some words. Oh, I don't know. His ciders is full. My, my favorite pick, I think would have to be, um, all context in there. Robert Master Simone at 54. You, I shouldn't have let you go before. No, me. you shouldn't have. I'm, I'm, you guys can have the same answer. I was pretty thrilled with the fact that they got his amount of offensive ability. Um, Max has a cool question for us towards the end of the interview where we talk about developing one uh, aspect of his game. And if Master Simone can really round out his game, he has a ton of offensive round potential. Round skating. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the overall grade I would give for this draft Oh, I didn't do my overall grade. Yeah. You Un- go first. Understanding that grades are folly and you can't evaluate everything just based on maybe pick value. B. I'm I'm going to go B minus. Um, I don't love the value they got at six, but everybody they took, almost every single player without question, there's potential. You the, look at our breakdowns. We've liked a lot of every one of the picks. Yeah. They, they drafted with the right philosophies, especially in the late rounds. Again, Chuomisto just needs to work on his lateral skating. Master Simone needs to work on his speed. Um, Johansson just has to grow. <laughs> <laughs> Get taller, dude. It's... The, the the projections on these guys, if they pan out, is high. It's not like we're sitting here and going, yeah, if everything goes right for Albert Johansson, he could be a really good number five defenseman. No, that the potential is there for him to be an impact defenseman. And they made a lot of those type of picks. Albin Greve could be the new Tyler Bertuzzi who's capable of contributing on in a top line role. Again, are these guys going to hit there? No, odds dictate most of them won't. But if you get three legitimately good NHLers out of this draft. It's a great draft. And it, I would bet on them doing that based on who they picked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my favorite pick was the same as yours, Master Simone. I like the offense that we got at that pick level. Like, the value of that pick is crazy. Yeah. Um, what were the other questions? Uh, uh, least, least favorite, favorite pick, pick. And then grade. Uh, I still don't like Cider at six. I like the player a lot. I don't think that's good value for the pick where you're picking him. And, you know, Steve Eisenman doesn't have a spot, a spotless first round draft. He's, he picked Brett Connolly. Yeah. Once at, at, at six. And Slater Cuckoo at 10. Yeah. Um, and there was someone else. I think it was Tony D'Angelo he picked as well in yep. that first round. Top so, 20. It, you know what? If, if this works out, it's, it's genius. And we're witnessing at, as our first interaction with Steve Eisenman in his role. But at six, I don't, like that value so if i had to give a grade i would say i like everything later in the draft Mm -hmm. the value we got late in the draft was great but weighting the picks where they are i think it was a c plus that's what i love about evan is like uh when he's quieter people think he's quiet just because like they're like just because he knows nothing no look what he just dished out we didn't even cover (laughs) steve eisenman's first round history and he just like laid it out for us yeah so I will be the first to admit I stopped listening to the draft after our after pick six. Oh yeah, like we were surprised. We were very very surprised. I was saying to Ryan, I had to. I think when who was it? Um, 
Florida went up and picked Spencer Knight, and I kind of snapped back in. I'm like, yeah. wait, who the hell went seven to twelve again? I've been I've been watching. But- like in Saving Private Ryan, where it's like just the guy's like ears are ringing, and like the guy's like yelling at him, but he can't hear him, and all of a sudden it just like snaps. Like, Spencer Knight, Spencer Knight. Get off the beach. You're going to Florida. Like, like I legitimately forgot that Buffalo had big cousins and and Edmonton had big Broberg. I seen I seen everything, but I seen nothing. Yeah. So um we are going to switch over to our interview now. We have uh Max Boltman and Prashanth Iyer, uh a lengthy interview talking a lot about draft philosophies and some of the things that we cover now. So enjoy that. Bless their souls for coming on with us after a very, very long week for them, or five weeks in preparation, and uh, we will see you on the other side of that. Welcome to our second ever uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Roundtable with Max Boltman of The Athletic and Prashanth Iyer um, of, well, Prashanth from Winged in Motown, The Athletic, you've been kind of everywhere now, and you're, uh, you're, you're a little bit of your own brand, but this is going to be a way more interesting roundtable than we bargained for. Um, this is the post-draft recap. So welcome, guys, and thanks for uh, joining us again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me, too, though. I think I missed the bargaining phase. What do you mean, what bargaining phase? Fuck. You said, you said we bargained for, so I was just making a joke about how oh. <laughs> Scrap it. Start it over. <laughs> uh, no, we're leaving that in. <laughs> I thought... I thought you were going to allude to a joke that Rowan makes whenever we have a guest on that, like, we pay one of you and not the other. Yeah, that was that was the joke. But like, oh. I, was for, I was, like, waiting for the setup. Come on. No, that's on me. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, let's try that again. Welcome to the second ever Winged Wheel Podcast Roundtable with Max Boltman and Prashanth Iyer. Guys, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. This is our second crack at this, so I'm not going to ramble too much. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'll, I'll try not to make a bad joke this time. <laughs> uh, Max, we had to clip that out because there was some profanity used. This is a professional podcast. Please consider the children next time. Sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you both, I, I thought I was tired. Brad and I both think that we're tired after this weekend, but we cover this casually. Um, first question for both of you, how are you awake and or alive? Uh, Prashanth, you can start. Uh, coffee works really well. And then, you know, I, I guess there's not really an upper limit to the amount that you can drink. So, <laughs> you know, you just find yourself awake. I um, took a seven hour nap. So <laughs> <laughs> what's funny was, uh, when we were planning this out, um, you know, Prashanth is, you're in the same time zone as us. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, but Max was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'll probably be good to go in the afternoon. I'm like, Max, you're taking a red eye back from Vancouver. You're spanning the continent. Do you want some time? We can go in the evening. He's like, no, I'll be good. And I was like, I have no idea how this man gets any energy. Um, I was at a stag and dough last night taking down or like helping, uh, take everything down. And it was like two 30 and I was looking at my phone texting and Mel goes, Ryan, who are you texting at this hour? I was like, Max, she goes, how is he still awake? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> He's, I was on the TSA in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> so this was uh, this was a way more colorful draft uh, than anyone bargained for, really, um, especially from the Red Wings, uh, most obviously. Um, Max, I'm glad uh, you took that seven-hour nap because this first question is going to be uh, the biggest hitter, and it's for you. Um, Moritz Sider at six overall. Um, that was obviously a huge shock to the hockey world and, and Red Wings fandom specifically. Uh, walk us through what it was like there when that pick was announced. Yeah, I, mean, I called it the shock of the draft, and I 
meant it. Like, I don't think really anybody saw it coming. I think my last words before the pick was made, we were all kind of, you know, talking amongst ourselves as in the, in the, on the media risers. And I, I think my prediction was it'll be Pod Colson. And, uh, and then the cider pick came down and everyone kind of like, <laughs> we were sitting with a cluster of athletic writers and it was like, all right, uh, go figure out exactly what the deal is. So sorry, I, a few people texted and DM me right afterwards. I, I definitely didn't respond because I was trying to figure out what to do with, uh, you know, the, you know, the rest of the night to, to get the story right. But it was certainly a, a shocker of a pick. And I think maybe one day it's looked back on and people don't, you know, know why it was a shocker, but I, for at least the next couple of years, this is going to be fascinating to watch it develop. So how many words or how many different guys did you have words or material prepared on compared to the very obvious zero you had for more at cider? <laughs> it was that obvious, huh? Um, so <laughs> no, I, 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 there were two guys that I, or three guys that I felt like I had pretty good material feature wise for. And another guy who I knew what direction I was going to go if they took him. So, you know, basically I had done, you know, I kind of pre-interviews for, for three different guys and then one guy who I knew exactly what my plan of attack would be if they took him. Uh, none of them were more cider. And so uh, that is my uh, – it's so funny because I was reading a Mark Lazarus tweet on the way to the draft where he was tweeting about how at, at last year's draft he had stuff pre-written on like four different – three or four different guys and none of them were Adam Boakvist. And I was like, huh, yeah, that would suck. Good thing I know exactly which range of players it'll be. And <laughs> it only prepared stuff on who guys who it will be. So, so uh, that my first my first two thoughts were one, I'm so happy for Max that he speaks excellent English, um, and two, I'm so happy that we're good friends with Max because, yeah, we didn't have much prepared either. None of us did. Um, a fun story for the listeners: Prashant was actually on the road. Uh, and he was telling Brad and I, please text me the picks as they come in, especially the Red Wings pick. And so I texted him the first two picks, and that was obvious. And then uh, I think he was a little surprised at the Doc pick at three. And then he got home after pick five. And I, I messaged Prashant after. I was like, what would you have said if I said uh, cider, uh, cider to the Red Wings? And Prashant, what was it that you replied? I think I was basically just like, yeah, that would have been a good joke. <laughs> it, would, uh, it, it would not have been... Yeah, it would have definitely seemed like a joke. And that's not a knock on Mort Sider, and we'll get more to that later. Um, Max, you, you had that insight um, into you know the Red Wings management and their justification and their uh, conversation around the pick. And then you also spoke to Moritz, Moritz and his family as well, to my understanding. So walk us through um, what you learned from that and, and a little bit of the background on that pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, I think by now everyone's probably seen the, the comments from Steve from Jeff Blaschel, from Tyler Wright, from Hawk and Anderson, it pretty much seems like the bases were covered on this guy. This was not a spur-of-the-moment pick. I mean, Eiserman's been been watching him since December at the uh, World Junior Division One A pool, which is sort of the tournament to get into the World Juniors. And, and he was really impressed with the hockey sense. And to me, hockey sense is maybe the skill that you want in certainly, certainly a defenseman, but maybe any prospect – to build around because it makes everything else work. So I think people see the size and maybe think that's the defining trait. The, the hockey IQ is what makes the size valuable because it, if you have the ability to make the, to maximize the tools, that's where you can get a ton of upside. So 
kind of the profile on Cider. And look, I have not watched a ton of more on Cider yet. It is very much high on my agenda for this week, both before development camp and through development camp. But my understanding of the profile is, is a really sound defensive defenseman who, if the upside hits offensively, you're going to look back on the pick and be totally fine with it because the toolkit's there, the hockey sense is there to make this a good two-way defenseman. Uh, it's just, you know, I, th- I think the, the fair question of the pick is value. And after what Hawk and Anderson said uh, Saturday, which was that, you know, after the draft, they kind of realized that if they had traded back, there were a couple other teams in the top 10 um, who, who might not have passed on Cider. So I know it may not have seemed like a value. It may not have been a quote-unquote value, um, according to the consensus rankings or any one person's rankings. But I think there is reason to believe that trading back was not as uh, as much of a of a given guarantee option as maybe it might have seemed in the immediate aftermath. Now, Prashant, uh, you you're probably a lot in the same boat as Max here in that um, you had a lot prepared on a lot of different guys through your work in, in modeling and projecting uh, the prospects and how they could pan out in the NHL. And, and uh, we were talking a little bit before, uh, and you mentioned that it was hard to project more at Cider because the German League is so difficult to get um, accurate data analysis on. Um, but for, for what you can kind of um, glean from the information that you have, uh, what was your immediate take? How did you uh, attack this from a, a data analytics standpoint and, and, and just in terms of a hockey pick for the team? Yeah, I think uh, my initial reaction was kind of similar to Max's in that it was, you know, you're initially surprised and then kind of the more you think about it, you're like, okay, maybe maybe that does make sense. It sounds like from very early on that Iserman and, and the rest of the staff had him really pegged as their guy and kind of stepping back you know, when you looked at this draft, you think there was maybe you obviously had the top two that had separated themselves. Then I think you could have made an argument that three through five had maybe separated themselves. Um, and then six was where it was going to get interesting. And that really anybody in the six through 15 range, there wasn't a whole lot that separated those guys. And so um, from my standpoint, you know, while I was surprised at Cider. Um, initially thinking that maybe from a value perspective, he could have been there a little bit later. I think ultimately learning what we learned um, in that a number of teams were interested in him, particularly in the top 10, seems like that maybe wasn't the case. And so when I went to look at the numbers and try and evaluate him, the first thing I tried to do was just go back and see who all's really come from the, the DEL league, which is where he's come from. And, you know, truth be told, there's not a ton of, NHL players that have come as prospects out of the DEL straight into the NHL. I think probably most famously you have Yui Krupp, Dennis Seidenberg, or probably the two defensemen that you think of um, haven't come in out of there. But what's really impressive about Sider is he did this as a 17-year-old kid. He was rookie of the year. Maybe offensively the numbers aren't necessarily there, and unfortunately that's all you really have to project him. But it sounds like, again, based on the scouting reports that Max was able to glean, um, you know, it sounds like he may be a potential player and that the value really is in that in those six through 15 guys, there probably wasn't a whole lot that separated um, them from a skill level. I think really the main difference is I had a lot more information on guys like Dylan Cousins and Trevor Zegras and, you know, other, you know, Cole Caulfield. I didn't have as much information as Cider, but it sounds like from scouting, 
standpoint, he was kind of on that same playing field. So ultimately, it's a more difficult one to project and wrap your head around from a number standpoint. And this is where you kind of have to rely on what was seen by the scouts, because again, you know, analysis of prospects is by no means a science based on what's publicly available. So this is a question I kind of want to hear from everyone on, and, and I'm going to reserve my comments until the end. Um, in terms of the actual projection of what Moritz Sider can be, um, you know, if you we're talking top pairing defenseman, if we're talking a two to three guy, is he a great two way player? Is he a defensive guy with a little bit uh, more offensive upside than normal? Um, where do you see? Where do you all see his like likely best case scenario, or his most likely scenario, and what's his like upper limit, his ceiling, um, to the best of your knowledge? And how does that kind of play into where how you interpret that pick at six overall? We'll start with Brad here. So. Best case scenario for me would be a really good number two defenseman who plays on the top pairing and contributes, I'm going to say a fair amount offensively without um, putting too much pressure on the kid. I don't think he'll ever be a a 60-point defenseman like the top tier of defensemen in the league. But if he can get in that 30 to 45-point range, be really defensively sound, which is the one thing that every scouting report I've seen on him praised was for his age playing against men his defensive game was very solid he was a smart player high hockey iq moved the puck well there's a not really too many nhl comparables to as prashanth was alluding to his situation what he's coming out of so i i've been trying to rack my brain over the last few two days now 48 hours to come up with a good comparison and i've been struggling to find one I think if everything goes exactly right for Moritz Sider, the best comparison I can think of in someone in the league right now is maybe Hampus Lindholm in Anaheim. Very solid defensively, very capable offensively, but isn't a guy who drives the offense. Max, where do you, uh, uh, where do you see him? And, and even just chatting with, I think it was Eisenman and Draper, um, kind of where did these, they see his upper projection? It wasn't Draper. It was um, Hawk and Anderson oh, right. and, uh, and Tyler Wright. No, I, 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 they weren't really super into giving like comparables, right? And and I and I haven't seen enough of him to really feel confident making one. The one thing I'll say about the Lindholm thing, which you know, Lindholm was also taken six overall, which is kind of interesting. But he you know, he's only six two, and those two inches can make a decent size difference in in terms of what a guy can be like. I think when you look at who do you who do you guys are like the preeminent shutdown defenseman in the league? Like just off the top of your head, uh, just straight up defensive ability. Um, off the top of my head, it'd be hard to not pick Pareko to St. Louis with his length and physicality coupled with good puck moving skills. So, like I like. I don't know. I'm not going to make a comparison, but I just think like if you're going to think about the value of it, because I, I know that especially with prospects, it's it's a lot easier to um, invest in or dream on the offensive prospect who's going to be you know dangling through guys and driving play, and and definitely there's a analytical case that that is the best value. But I think when you look at the overall picture. That type of shutdown guy who can also move the puck and be efficient, like to me, there's a lot of value in that. And so, 
I, you know, again, I'm not going to make a comparison. I'm not going to necessarily make a hard projection just because I don't know. But I don't think it's unreasonable at all to think this guy could be a top pairing guy. And if, if he's that, I don't think the pick at six will be looked back on with any kind of regret. I mean, do you think that, like, just to go back to Lindholm, do you think the Ducks regret Lindholm at six? No, not at all. So there you go. And, and I don't even necessarily think Lindholm's like a, you know, crazy defenseman. Like, he's probably, what, a 2-3 or is he a firm 2 for you guys? Well, given the state of Anaheim's defense right now, he's a number one, but <laughs> well, you know, probably an objective two one. three. He's he's probably viewed as a really good number two guy. Okay, and that's exactly what you just said for Cider. So I, I guess that tracks. Like to me, I think that if 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 he's that, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of gripes with this pick. If he's a top pairing guy, you know what I mean. Prashant, where does he sit in your head? Yeah, I mean it's a it's tough because like for again from an analytical standpoint, like if I'm going to step back and look at this. Drafting defensive defensemen early is generally frowned upon. So, like, from kind of prior work, maybe five years ago by Reese Jessup, who now works as a consultant for the Florida Panthers, when he looked at CHL defensemen, basically, if you didn't score at, you know, more than 0.6 points per game, again, this is the CHL, um, you were kind of unlikely to make it to the NHL and really last in the NHL. So, kind of the moral of the story was don't draft the defensive defenseman early. Now, it sounds like, again, from all the scouting reports that Max has been able to share with us, that he does have all of the tools to be that kind of quintessential um, defensive defenseman. Uh, I do have a little bit more reserve, given what I just said, in terms of the likelihood of success of those guys, especially when you use um, your sixth overall pick on them. But if I'm going to, like, pin a comparable... I think the best case scenario is I don't even think he has as much offense as Colton Pareko. I think what you're hoping for is maybe Nicholas Jalmerson. Like, really solid, really steady. I mean, he has probably been the best defensive defenseman in the NHL for the last several years, but isn't a huge point contributor by any means, but the guy just eats minutes. He's a big dude, always sound positionally, makes that good first pass out of the zone, rarely gets pinned in. He's starting to slow down now, but to me, that's kind of the upper ceiling of what I'm looking for you know a little bit concerning is what's his potential floor um you know there have been a couple of times where Detroit has jumped on uh your defensemen that haven't necessarily scored a lot earlier in the career one that stands out in my mind is Jakob Kindle who was 19th in 2005 a little bit lower he was in the OHL he didn't look great early on, and that's kind of one of the guys that makes me a little worried in terms of a floor status. And I think Sider's a much better skater than Kindle was at that point. But, I, you know, I do have that reservation in my head. So I think best case is maybe a Jalmerson-type player. Worst case is you bottom out like what some of the defensive defensemen tend to do if they don't score well. So, so the argument on Sider, when you bring up the point about the CHL scoring, and I think it's, you know, it's certainly – that's the, what the numbers say, and I think it's valuable. Important to remember that – I mean, I know Prashant does. We, we already talked about this basically, but just so people listening know, like he plays in a German men's league. And he doesn't play a ton. So when you're going to look at his numbers, you're going to say, okay, it's defense, defense first. It, looking at the numbers, you might even say it's defense only, but I don't think that's the case. And I think when you watch a little bit of his clips – and again, I've got a lot more watching to do before I feel real confident saying anything – I think I mean I think it's pretty safe to say that if, if this guy was playing in the OHL, he's the numbers are going to be a lot better than they were offensively. Like I, I don't see any reason to think that he would be, um, 
and he would not be able to hit that 0.6 points per game threshold in the OHL. He's playing, you know, if he was playing juniors, right now he's playing in a men's league and he's not playing a lot. And so I think that has to be a consideration when you look into what the offense is. Like you have to scout the tools to some degree. When Jeff Blaschel talked about watching him at men's worlds, um, he talked about how, how good the first pass was and how under pressure he made the play without getting worried about the four checker. These are, these are traits that speak to what the offense can be when he's in the right situation, you know, that I mean, and Jeff, Jeff Blasio saw him at men's worlds. So that's again, against NHL players. Like we're not talking about, okay, he looks really good at the, at the underage tournaments. Although I do still think there's a lot of value in seeing him against his own peers, but it, it's, it's the, it's what makes him a fascinating prospect is that Detroit made the pick knowing that it's only really seen him this year against like really tough competition. And so as he gets older, as he grows into his body a little more, and as the competition that he's facing actually levels out with his age, it's a pick that could look a lot better, I guess is what I'm saying, in a year. Or it's a pick that, you know, certainly it's, it's, it's a gamble. There's no doubt it could look bad in a year. But I think where the, the upside comes in is that you've only even seen him against much harder competition and if he looks good against that what's he going to do when he's playing against his own age group yeah absolutely and just to, to state this kind of for the record the last time anybody did an update in terms of league equivalencies the del league was considered to be basically twice as strong of a league compared to the ohl whl and a little bit more than two times as strong as the qmjhl factor in that you consider that this year was a down year for the ohl likely a down year for the Q, even though it was a great year for the WHL. I think if you put that in perspective, his scoring at 11 points in 43 games isn't necessarily concerning when you're thinking about that 0.6 points per game mark. And when you're looking at he wasn't playing huge minutes in those games. Exactly. Like, he was the youngest dude on the team, as far as I'm aware, and like he, he was not getting major responsibility. All right, so all that talk about the league he played in transitions into a big question that's going to start floating around now because he's coming from Europe. He has no commitments and no restrictions. Where does he play this coming season? None yeah. of the, none of the options would surprise me. I, it wouldn't stun me if he went to play for own sound in the OHL. Like I, my, my bet at this point is it would be either back to Mannheim to play a take on a much bigger role or to the American league. And I think ultimately it could, it, I think it, could and arguably should and maybe will come down to where is the place that he can get the ro- get the minutes and the role they want if, if they're going to send him to grand rapids is he going to get power play time on a team like it may come down to does grand rapids have dennis chalowski does grand rapids i mean we, grand rapids we pretty much know is going to have gustav lindstrom where can he get the role that they want from him and that's probably to be a first penalty kill guy uh I, you'd think they want him to try at least the second power play wherever he's at and then just huge minutes. And if, if Grand Rapids is only going to be able to give him 17 minutes a game, there's value in that coming in the AHL and maybe for an 18-year-old, 17 might even be a little higher than what it would be. Uh, but I think I think it'll come down to what the role that he can play is. And, and wherever he needs to go to get the role that they need him to play, I would bet on that's where him going. Yeah, I don't I don't see him in the AHL just thinking about the logjam of players that right. are there right now. I mean, even if Nicholas Cronwell retires, you're still talking about, 
you know, minutes likely for Dylan McElrath, Billy Sariarvi, Hicketts, Jalowski, Roenick, Bowie. If Lindstrom's coming over, Lashoff is going to be there. I just don't see the minutes working out. Um, so I think he's, I think, like Max said, he probably stays in Mannheim with a bigger role. Um, I don't know if they would want him in North America just to keep a closer eye because, like I said, I, I don't think the OHL or really any of the CHL leagues necessarily offers him a step up in terms of quality of competition versus it just being physically closer. Um, so I, I'd kind of prefer him in Mannheim next year just for the bigger role. Yeah, the advantage of, of him being closer is, is probably limited to just easier access by the development staff to get to him more often. But I, I forget who said it, so I'm, I might not be quoting it exactly. I might get this a little wrong. But somebody yesterday made a comment about how they think Mannheim would be pretty accommodating to Detroit's development staff wanting to come in and be hands-on with Cider if he was still there, uh, which just gives more credence to Prashant's point about why ultimately – Mannheim's probably going to be the best option. Yeah, I think there was a quote from Eiserman saying that Mannheim kind of offered a pretty supporting system and he was going to be in a good spot if he did end up staying there. Okay, yeah, so, so, so that must be what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what you're thinking of. Uh, the one question I have, though, the one downside to going back to Mannheim is the one thing, okay, this might just be me, but when you hear about smart pucking, puck-moving defensemen who make good plays under pressure... I find it's almost easier to say that about them when they're playing in Europe because of the size of the ice. They have more time to make a decision. Do you think whether it's Grand Rapids or Owen Sound, just coming to the smaller ice would be better for his development so he almost loses that time in the, in the defensive zone with the four checkers coming in on him? Max, we'll go with you first. No, I, I, I see the point. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good philosophical point, but I think stage-wise... Give him the big minutes, the big role first, add that, and then take away the space. Don't take away the space and then make him go. I think I think you want to develop the, the tools and the traits as good as possible and then introduce the restrictions rather than introduce the restrictions and then ask him to develop under them. I, I don't in the end, maybe it's splitting hairs, but that's just how how I would think about it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I also think that the difference in ring size is largely overstated because if you think about all the European prospects that do come over, I don't think any of the struggles that they generally have are related to the rink being just a little bit wider. Um, I, I do think they actually tend to come over and the faster place, faster pace actually tends to help them a little bit more. I think sometimes things get slowed down a little bit too much on the big ice. Um, so I, I do think that that doesn't necessarily factor into my decision there at all. Uh, veering away from that a little bit, but kind of still talking about uh, his development, um, a, a pie-in-the-sky thought that might be going through some Red Wings fans' head is that um, there were some whispers about Moritz Sider was told this past season in Mannheim to not focus so much on the offensive game. Uh, they just really want to see him round out his defensive game, uh, gap control, just solid defensive play, which he very obviously did factor that in with the fact that he had the limited minutes there that we talked about and then couple all of that with the fact that Mannheim has come out and said you know they want to provide a really supportive system for him uh, especially as he develops in Detroit's system it could also theoretically uh, and correct me if I'm wrong be pretty beneficial because uh, Draper or Eisenman or whoever can say to Mannheim uh, we really want to see what this what tools he has offensively given power play minutes or work with him uh, on that level um, 
and then they might have a little bit of a better assessment as to what he could uh, produce on offense or on the power play. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and these are the values of, of being able to be hands-on with your development staff. Like, you see this in baseball sometimes with, like, a pitcher who all of a sudden people notice, like, man, he's been getting, you know, hit really hard for a few games now. And then later it comes out like, oh, well, he he lowered his fastball usage to 40% as a way to force him to throw his breaking stuff to develop it, right? And and those are things that, like, it doesn't always look promising from afar, uh, but when you realize that there's developmental value to, to kind of tweaking their roles and tinkering in order to put them in the right situations, there's a ton of value to be able to do something like that, especially if the club that he's at is willing to kind of play ball and, and put his development above maybe how they would uh, strategically prefer to use him. So I'm sure we're going to have a lot more conversation about Moritz Sider um, in the weeks, months, years to come. Uh, let's get into the rest of the draft. Um, so we'll start with Prashant. What was your favorite pick, the best value pick that you think the Red Wings made that presents the most upside uh, relative to where they selected him? Ooh, that's a, if you're asking for best uh, value relative to where they selected him, then I think you go all the way down to 190 um, with Kirill Truchiev, which Max just taught me how to say correctly. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he was interesting in that I think a lot of people maybe passed on him because one, very small. He's five foot nine, 146 pounds. You know, second guy they actually took that was five foot nine, 146 pounds. Played over in the MHL over in Russia, and he's technically an overager. He's a little over 19. Factor in all that together, you basically had the three red flags of a draft uh, of a draft pick. And so I can see why he dropped so far. But you know, realistically, looking at his production, he was nearly a point per game player out in the MHL. I mean, he put up 24 goals, 74 points in 80 games out there. Um, he actually, if you look at Emmanuel Perry's kind of probability of making it to the NHL, his probability of making it is about 40%. And so when you, you get that with the 190th pick in the draft, uh, I think that's a really great value pick for Detroit. And, hey, I mean, potentially you pair him with Otto Kibben Mackey from last year, and now you've got two seventh-rounders that are making it into the NHL. And so uh, I think that was a really good kind of sneaky pick, kind of focusing on all the things that – or maybe market inefficiencies. It's the small forward, the overager, and the guy playing in a decent league um, that doesn't really get scouted all that much. Yeah, and I, I'm going to go. I mean, I think that's a great answer, and I think statistically that's the answer. Uh, I'm going to go not statistically and go with my guy Alvin Greva. Uh, he was the dude coming into the draft that I wanted to cover the most because he's a, a riot, uh, sometimes literally. And uh, I mean, this is a dude who I thought could be a fit for them in the second round. They got him at 66. He plays hard. He can skate. He's got skill. I, like To me, this guy looks like exactly the player you want um, in the middle six for you, especially come playoff time. So I think that was a great value pick for them, even though it was only by maybe a round. Uh, I was pretty pleased, I think, uh, when Detroit selected their first forward, their second uh, second-round pick in Robert Mastro-Simone. Um, that was the kind of pick that I was hoping that they would make with pick 35, and that's not a knock at uh, Tomisto. Uh, we'll get to him later. But Mastro-Simone presented that kind of first-round value guy that uh, could have gone picks 1 to 31 and no one would have batted an eye. A lot of offensive upside. Um, 
it is in a draft where it was kind of surprising to see two defensemen taking uh, taken with the first two picks. Uh, Master Simone was a guy that I was happy that the Red Wings got. I would have preferred to have a Brink or a Kaliev, but those obviously got sniped uh, just before pick thirty five. So yeah, that was um, that was the first pick where I was like, okay, that's a uh, that's a really good value for where they're at. Not a knock again, not a knock on anyone else, but that was the one that stuck out to me. And uh, for me, I'm going to actually go six picks later than that with a guy that I didn't even know existed um, 72 hours ago, Albert Johansson. Um, Every scouting report and the little bit I've been able to find of him on the internet to watch is exactly what I like teams to look for in any pick that is air quotations, not a premium pick. I know that's still second round, but we're talking late, late second round here. He skates well. He's got great high-end hockey IQ, which were the two universal positives that I've seen against him. And then even talking to Max before we started recording, the kid is six feet tall, 165 pounds. So not only does he have these traits already, but it also looks like he's just starting to scratch the surface uh, physically and maturely of what he's going to be. And and I, that's the type of swing I like to take at picks like this. Hockey Anderson compared Johansson to Philip Hironik in terms of style. He said there's a couple of differences. I think he said he thinks Johansson's sense is better than Hironik, um, but that Hironik has a better shot. And I think if given the choice, you would take the sense over the shot there. So uh, and that, that's talking about upside. They think that uh, he might even grow because his dad and brothers are both all over 6'2", all hockey players. If he grows, then Brad may end up looking like uh, the smart one of us for choosing him as the upside guy because that could uh, rocket his value up. God help us all. For, for what it's worth, uh, Johansson's my answer because he was the one not picked, but I, I probably would have went with Greva if Max didn't already pick him because I absolutely <laughs> loved that pick. So six picks apart, could we could be seeing a top six forward and a top four defenseman for Detroit for a while, and that would be pretty good value. <laughs> Now, we know Iserman's first few months on the job uh, were spent assessing what he had in the system, especially regarding amateur scouting and the prospect pool that they already had. We know this because this was one of the few pieces of concrete information that Steve Iserman has willingly handed out uh, to the public. Um, and that translated or manifested in this draft with uh, five defensemen being taken, uh, three of them with their first four picks. Does that represent a shakeup to come uh, within their pipeline uh, you know, does this mean that Eisenman took an assessment of what uh, the pipeline uh, had and he said, we are done being poor defensively, we are done being, you know, trying to milk uh, the Sari RV project or, you know, trying to decide if Hicketts could be a number six guy, we are going to revamp this and we're going to do it all in one draft. Uh, we'll start with Prashant. Yeah, I mean, that's a, if you look at just all the moves that have been made since he's taken over, um, it really does seem like the emphasis is on restocking that defensive cabinet. And, you know, probably with good reason. If you think about it, over the last few years, the Wings have kind of had batches of defensive prospects that have kind of been brought up, kind of simmered for a little bit, realized they weren't going to pan out, and then kind of pushed to the side. So you had really the previous generation with like Xavier Ouellette, Ryan Spruill, you know, I'll even throw Brendan Smith in there. You had kind of that group of defensemen, and those guys have been pushed to the side now in favor of the Dennis Cholowski, Billy Sariarvi, Joe Hicketts. That's kind of getting pushed to the side, although Cholowski is still very much in play. 
And now we are kind of at McIsaac and Lindstrom and Ronick, and we'll see where those three go. I, you know, I think Ronick and McIsaac look particularly good. We'll see a little bit more of Lindstrom hopefully this year. But it really seems like he wanted another batch ready to push these guys behind. And so he goes out, he gets Oliver Kasky, um, the Finnish defenseman, brings him in. He's 23 years old. And then he goes and takes five defensemen, including the first two picks that he makes. So I, I do think that has been an emphasis for him is we need to put more talent um, on the defensive, you know, kind of in our defensive pool to really push these guys. And I'm not afraid to to move through it if we need to to get these guys going sooner. Yeah, I'll take them somewhat at their word when they say that the players they were picking, you know, they, they just kept coming. They happened to be defensemen and they needed everything. So they weren't going to, you know, stop taking them. But But it's hard to not read into it exactly what you guys are talking about which is what we all have have kind of known for a while now which is that the defensive pipeline was you know needed more and and there have always been a kind of guys who projected in that maybe quote-unquote bottom four which i hate to use because the second pair guys are still usually pretty good but you know when you add a cider when you add some upside guys i, I think that does have you have to read that as, as some some level of a you know assessment by the management staff that was where the infusion needed to come and i think it's also by necessity is kind of going to represent somewhat of a shakeup here within over the next year in terms of how that's shaping up um what i also think is interesting if you want a conspiracy theory what if you look at uh you know what the circumstances that would decide the guy you need is a and certainly I think they wanted him overall because again I don't think they were drafting for need at six. But hypothetically speaking, what would be the kind of player that you would uh, be looking to add down the line if in the draft you were taking a six foot four shutdown right handed defenseman? Could it be a five foot nine left handed power play one quarterback who would be a free agent in the next summer? That is something that has been kind of floating around in my mind. And I haven't, you know, that's not, there's no insider knowledge coming there, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. But that is kind of a thought that I had is like, is that the plan? Is that, are they going to get the power play offensive guy somewhere else? And they're going to roll with shutdown guy insider, really good two way guy in Heronic, potentially pretty good offensive guy. And Chalosky, McIsaac, kind of a, an all-around guy, and Lindstrom, kind of a shutdown guy. If that's the plan, and DeKaiser still in there too, as is a pretty solid defensive guy who can maybe add a little bit of rush element in there. If that's the plan for the core coming together by let's say 2022, there's that's a pretty interesting core. Uh, and so I think you got to find that like dynamic offensive defenseman somewhere. I'm, I know I'm going off the rails a little bit here, but that's just kind of what I've been thinking about. I, for one, am here for years and years of the Tormor pairing. <laughs> <laughs> Brad got so excited once that joke was teed up for him. <laughs> Brad and I decided he was talking next. We just kind of like point to each other. And he like basically just jabbed his finger into his own chest. He's like, me, me, me. So thank you for teeing that up for him. Um, this was a, a point that I didn't make earlier on Cider, but you kind of are alluding here uh, to it. Draft philosophy you know, the team knows that they want Insider, but they also recognize that he wasn't um, necessarily the sixth best or the sixth ranked player. Um, I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's. I think 
they acknowledge it like consensus publicly wise that's the case. Right. Yeah. I, they drafted him over those guys. Like they clearly wanted him more. Right, you know? and I should clarify that that the it went against public consensus with the pick that they made, and they weren't apologizing for that, and nor should they. Right. Um, but it does bring up the philosophical question. You have the sixth pick in a draft where the top ten all represent a lot of high-end talent that could be uh, home run swings. When you have your guy, the hash, like the your guy TM pick, and you know that your pick six isn't probably the best place to take him in terms of objective value. Where does that philosophy, like how does the philosophy differ um, and, and how do you balance those things? You really want your guy, uh, you want more at Cider, you want player X, Y, Z, um, but pick six or pick four or pick three is far too high to be taking him, but you also can't trade back. Should the philosophy be, well, then you just don't get that player and you take your swing on someone else because that's truly what best player available represents? Or do you say, no, we want him that badly. That means he's our best player available, um, and we'd be silly to pass on him. Uh, we'll start off with Prashant here. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really interesting topic because I think if you look at a lot of the reports um, and kind of scouting assessments and grades that have come out, uh, you'll see a lot of, I like this player, but the value maybe wasn't right. And, you know, that went for guys like Tuomisto, Johansson, like, even Phillips, you know, guys coming down the list, I saw a lot of like, I like this player, but the value isn't maybe there. And I think it's a very difficult conversation to separate those two things out. Uh, and it's very clear. I think I was very encouraged to hear that the Red Wings clearly understand that too. Eisman comes out and said, look, we tried to trade back, didn't like any of the offers. And so this is our guy and I'm going to go ahead and take him. And so the philosophical question you have to answer is, if I've identified this guy as the guy that I want in my range, even though maybe public perception of his value uh, may be that I could get him five or six picks later and then I should make that attempt, um, I kind of have waffled on this a lot. But I'm more in the camp now that if, if you've done your job and you've done your homework and you've got the right assessments of these guys and you take the guys as they come – um, you look at another team that played the draft very differently, like Carolina. Um, sure, Carolina had a big board, um, and they had their scouting assessments. But, you know, it almost what they did is they basically traded back a lot to keep acquiring more and more picks, and then finally cashed all those picks in in the third round where they had a monster third round in terms of guys that, again, publicly and analytically were maybe projected to have the higher value. I certainly think that's one way to go, but I don't think it's necessarily incorrect that if you think you've done your homework and this is your guy and you can't make a move back, then yes, I think you have to take them because otherwise you're going to live with a decision you maybe aren't super satisfied with. I agree completely. And like the best way to illustrate it is to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the decision maker. You are Tyler Wright, Steve Eiserman, you know, whoever you want to say you are. You've worked your whole life to work. Well, I mean, Steve Eisenman, you know, obviously had a whole <laughs> life in hockey before this, but your job that you, you know, worked for and coveted and whatever it wanted is to make these decisions. And you get to the draft table and you've done all your homework and you know this is the guy you want. How can you live with not taking him? Like just because the public says something else. How can you it, – it's your job to do. Are you going to defer to like the public consensus rankings? 
No, it's your job. You're the one who was hired because they thought that you would be good at this and you would be able to find these unwritten things. Like in theory, you could do an auto draft for every team and, you know, central, the central scouting rankings would be posted and then it just would run down and award you players based on the central scouting ranking. But that's not why anyone likes drafting. It's, it's not because you just get the player that's assigned to you based on, you know, the ranking value. It's because because you get to look for the players that you want that you think can be more than what the ranking is. Now, I I think it's a hundred percent fair to question. You know, would would the value have been better trading down? Yes. I'll also say that is technically true of any draft pick ever. <laughs> like, would the value of Jack Hughes been higher if they had, if New Jersey had gotten him at three? Yes, it would have. And I, I know it's not quite the same. Um, I mean, it's not at the same you know, in, in terms of caliber of player, but philosophically, if it's the player you want and that's where your pick is, then that's what you have to do. And, and I think it's one thing to acknowledge that public consensus wise, that's not the, you know, quote unquote value pick. And maybe, maybe that's how you kind of game the draft like they did with Chuchiev moving back to add something else that so you can get that guy. But if you're not positive that you can still get the guy you want, it would be really tough to live with not getting the guy that you thought would be the guy just because you were following kind of industry or public consensus. Now, I, I want to qualify my opinion with the fact that uh, Brad and I both know that we were literally on video or on like live recording as the pick came out. And uh, there's, <laughs> there's some interesting screen caps of our, our physical reactions when the pick came out. And uh, I'll own that. I, I don't think anyone can blame anyone for being shocked by the pick. Um, my initial reaction was being a little, as a fan, was being a little surprised and disappointed that they left guys like Dylan Cousins and Trevor Zegris and even Pod Polzin on the table when the consensus pick were that, was that those were better players. Um, but having time to come away from it and sleep on it and, and really think about the pick, Max, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. If that's your guy, then that's literally your job to do it. Uh, my opinion is that there are not, um, you know, all 12 or however many guys that were ranked ahead of Cider will be worse than him. I, I think that if you look back on it, you can probably, whether it's splitting hairs or pointing out to something obvious, there's going to be a guy or multiple guys in that group that will pan out to be better picks. But that's just my opinion. Um, you know, I pretty unabashedly re- relied on the work of people like Corey Promen and Scott Wheeler and even your your models, Prashanth, to form my own opinions and put information out there. But that's it. I have no pressure on me. That's uh, I'm not a decision maker. Steve Eisenman and Pat Verbeek and, and Tyler Wright and Chris Draper, if that's your guy, you have to make that pick. And, and honestly, with both that pick and, and the rest of the draft with uh, a very clear, um, I don't know, philosophy that they were displaying, you have to respect it. But again, and Max, you alluded to this as well, you also have to wear it the public opinion is going to be that this went contrary to what consensus was and you have to be ready to wear that criticism as a fan. And as someone who's looking at this, maybe from a more analytical perspective, I respect that the fact that they recognize that they've come out publicly and recognized it and said, we're still going to go this direction. So they're confident and that kind of inspires confidence in the pick in and of itself. And this is a very obvious statement. If he pans out, if he ends up being that number two guy, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter down the road. Would I have made that same pick? No. But will it matter down the road if he's, you know, the number two guy in a cup winning team? No, absolutely not. So 
if that's your shot, then you have to shoot it in my mind. It, and it, it took me a while to get there. That wasn't my thought at, you know, 9 p.m. on Friday night. It, it, just like think about it. Like put yourself in their shoes. Like let's say that you think that Sider can be a first-pairing defenseman. But you talk yourself out of it because all these other rankings that you see. And again, I, I put so much trust in my colleagues' prospect work. I, I very much followed uh, – you know, Prashant obviously posted uh, – kind of the, the tip of the iceberg of his prospect evals on Twitter. Um, and I, I certainly followed that. If you're the decision maker though, and you take, let's say it's Dylan cousins, because that's what kind of the, the prospect Raiders think. And Dylan cousins turns out to be a second line winger and more insider turns out to be a first pair defenseman. And the only reason you didn't take more insider is because you got scared that you were the only guy that liked him, man, how tough to live with would that be? Yeah, I mean, it kind of comes back to the concept of what a perfect draft is. And obviously, the way to do it, so to illustrate the concept, basically a perfect draft is, all right, you go years after the draft happens, you kind of accumulate what each of these prospects are going to become, you know, which ones are stars, which ones are not. And then what you were to effectively do at that point is starting from the last pick in the draft and working your way backward, what is the latest I could take this player such that i'm taking them before somebody else takes them yes if you, if you think about it that way and so if you frame it in that perspective detroit knew that obviously now we're before the draft we don't know what cider is going to be but if you're operating in that kind of mindset if edmonton is going to take cider at eight and you have a really strong feeling of that you have to take him at six because otherwise you are going to miss that and again, you're going to end up missing out on your opportunity for, quote unquote, a perfect draft. Now, this is all saying this without knowing what Sider is going to be, but you can't operate in that mindset if, like Max has said, and I've said, you've put all the time in and effort in and you think he's the guy, even though maybe the value isn't there. The value, really the best time to take a player is right before your opponent's going to take him. 100%. So if, you, if you think Edmonton's going to do it at eight, you have to take him there at six if uh, Buffalo's not willing to flip with you at seven. A uh, good demonstration of that, actually, I think, was the Flyers with Bobby Brink at 34. Uh, they traded up specifically to grab him there because they didn't think he would make it past Detroit or, or I think it was Carolina afterwards. So, yeah, absolutely. You And Iserman with Braden Point a couple of years back. Like, that's exactly what they did. They traded up right in front of the team they thought liked, liked him. The, uh, that's the perfect draft, and I think that's also something that we get really, really obsessed with. We've done, I don't know, how many – like our last 20 episodes have all been draft-focused – um, even offline, how much, how many hours have us four spent talking to each other about the same things over and over and over? It's so easy to get in the weeds about this, and it's so easy to to think about the optimal draft. And it's just never going to shake out that way. So we're going to look at you know five swings at defensemen here, and really only one of them has to hit for this to make Eiserman seem like a genius in restocking that blue line. Or if Sider ends up panning out to be that you know even number three guy who can play as a, a number two on this team. And then everyone else kind of projects above or, you know, ends up above what their projections are. He'll still end up looking like a genius. Uh, it's too early to make decisive uh, calls on it. But there's a, there's a very clear direction that they moved in. And this is actually, I know I'm rambling a little bit. It leads into my next question. Your opinion, do you think that they went best player available here? Or do you think that they had a strategy in terms of filling out a certain part of their pipeline or filling out a certain framework? Um in which way did they move? Was it a lot more best player available, or was it a lot more 
uh, we know what we need and we're going to skip some of our uh, th- those consensus opinions to make sure that we get that. Uh, I think they took their best player available. And I, and I think that's for a lot of people, that's going to be tough to swallow because I don't think any – I didn't see any ranking released that, that had him at six. But just – you know, you have to trust that they're rational actors here. They talked the whole run up through about how they needed the best possible player. I don't think that at the eleventh hour they decided to fill a need. I think I think they saw, and they might not have taken the best player that they saw this season. They took probably the, the guy who they think can be the best player in five years, or at least has. You know this the potential to be really good with you know whatever floor there's all best player available is kind of a wonky term because it can mean so many different things, but you have to trust that they took the guy that they think can be the best. I, I guess like that's the simplest way I can say it. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. I think it's basically all of the above. He was the best player on their board, and he filled a huge need uh, for them. I don't. I think the concept of best player available definitely gets a little, little bit misconstrued because, like I said, the goal should always be that perfect draft in terms of taking, you know, the player that you've nec- that you've identified as best right before your opponent does, whether um, that's at the pick you currently own or a little bit later. And so, you know, I think they accomplished everything they wanted to accomplish with that pick. Now we just need to see if it plays out the way they want it to play out. I tend to agree that they did go best player available, and the biggest thing that leads me to believe that is looking at their draft. Nothing uh, makes sense in terms of consistency here. They're drafting six foot four defensemen who can skate. They're drafting five foot nine forwards who can score. Uh, they drafted a five foot eleven winger who pisses everybody off and a six foot six forward who doesn't. There, there was no. <laughs> No consistency in anything here, so I really do think they were just going best player available because this seemed to be the antithesis of 2017 where they went on record as saying they were prioritizing size that draft. The only real thing that I see popped up consistently in their draft this year was high hockey IQ, high compete level, and everything else was very varied. The hockey IQ theme was something that was that that was the most uh, the easiest piece of information to take away from all of this. Uh, they were done with players who maybe didn't have the hockey sense, like had the raw skills but not the hockey sense and could have put it together. Um, they're very much banking on the fact that their hockey IQ and hockey sense will be a huge aid in their development and will push them farther above projections uh, than what others uh, might have thought, which would explain a lot of these guys going higher than. Uh, where they were ranked on public consensus, you know, Sider, Tomisto, uh, Johansson, if they're banking on their hockey IQ being really high uh, and their hockey sense really driving their game, then yeah, they absolutely have a great chance to pan out uh, well above um, what public consensus has them. Can I pose a question to you guys? Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. I think, I think you guys have probably seen most of these guys more than I have. If you could, if I give you like a NHL 19 style, slider grid of everybody's attributes in the draft class and i gave you like let's say 10 slider points but you can only use it on one attribute where are you allocating it to who and and to what trait in the draft class so are we making like our ideal player here with well you have the player as they are like the player as you see them right now and i'm gonna let you boost their 
one trait of one player by one standard deviation? Hockey IQ for anyone. <laughs> That's the easy answer. So what, are you basically telling us to go through the list and then kind of like cherry pick? So we already know Moritz Sider's big. We know he's got a high hockey IQ. He's got great skating. So could I just sit here and say I, he needs to put a tick up on uh, offense or puck handling or et cetera? But offense is too broad. So, yeah, it would have to be like Moritz Sider's puck skills or Antetuamisto's whatever, I don't know, skating puck skills. Uh, it could be it could be Johansson's physical game. It could be Greve's hockey IQ. Whatever, like, whatever you want to do, like you can put it in any one of those categories. I like this. I'll, I'll start because I've actually spent a lot of my day going through. Because I, I, I tend to classify myself as the pessimistic scout when looking at players. Because it's always pretty easy to pick out what these guys are good at, but it's harder yeah. to really narrow it down. So yeah, I'll go more at Sider's puck skills. I'll go anti Tuomisto skating, specifically uh-huh. his lateral movement isn't strong. Robert Mastro Simone's skating needs to improve a lot. Albert Johansson needs to get bigger. Alvin Greve needs to stay the hell out of the penalty box. So how do we uh, how do we classify that? <laughs> Discipline. Discipline. Yeah. Discipline for Greve. Uh, Ethan Phillips needs to. Um, God, I like him. Get bigger. Uh, he's he's not str- like there's a lot of strong or small guys who are stronger on his skates. He's decidedly weak on his skates. So building yeah. up that lower body strength. So strength on Phillips. Cooper Moore. I admittedly don't know a ton about him. His skating and offensive game seems to be great, so his defensive game could use some improvement. Uh, Elmer Soderblom, ooh, uh, physical game, even though he's six foot six, because uh, that's the only way he's ever going to make the NHL is if he's elite at that. Gustav Berglund, I know nothing about, so I'm going to pass. Uh, Kirill Chuchiev, I'm going to say physical game. Carter Guylander. I've never watched goalie. He needs goalie. Yeah. Does he want to prevent goals or stop pucks? <laughs> <laughs> Brad, that was incredibly fun, but like I totally asked which one trait of one player. <laughs> oh my god, Max. I even said, are we gonna go through them all? And you said yes. Uh, any one trait of one player, uh, I would pick Moritz Sider shooting. You, I, I want the best player that Detroit drafted to get better. So I, I would say Moritz Sider shot, and then that's that would be the easiest pick for me. Well, that was less fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, gave, you gave Brad a window to talk. That was the mistake you made. <laughs> I mean, I, for me, I'd probably want Master Simone to just improve his skating a little bit, so he can really use that. Uh, offensive ability that he's got. He's got a really high creativity uh, level, I think, and I think he needs to just be able to get to the spaces with his skating. So, so the reason I wanted to ask it was because I think that's a good way to look at a draft class as a whole, is that not all these guys are going to hit, certainly. Everybody knows that. Not all these guys are going to really, you know, really, some some of them, are, you, you might never hear their name again, to be honest. I mean, hopefully reading my coverage, I'll name all of them again, but you know, you get what I mean. But what I think is interesting is an easily identifiable dynamic of this class is there are a handful of guys who, if they can make one attribute, one standard deviation better, they become really interesting. And Mastro Simone is a guy who I, that's a, I think that's a great one, Prashant, because if his skating can become really good, um, then that's a really interesting player. I think you know Greve discipline is, is another good one. I think cider puck skills is probably the obvious one. Because if he has one, you know, deviation better puck skills, 
all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who probably would have, you know, would have been expected to go at number six. Um, so I just think, but I think it's an interesting way to leaving the draft an outlook to take on like, where should everyone kind of be watching these guys for what could be a substantial improvement in, in getting them the kind of success that I think the lightning for a long time had in finding a guy who, if one thing went really well, that guy was a player all of a sudden. Max, I think that uh, ties in really well with the, a lesson that you bring to the show quite a bit, which is that you have to have faith in your development team, right? Uh, you're not just drafting these players as they are, and that's what you're going to get for the rest of your career. So, yeah, absolutely. The, the Red Wings are going to fixate on Moritz Sider's puck skills. They're going to try to get Alvin Grave, uh, Grave to to be a little bit more like Brad Marchand rather than just spend his entire career in the box. Um, there's a lot to be had, and there's a lot of time to to accomplish these things. And, of course... Like you said, any draft, we're not going to hear from a lot of these guys again. But when you're making these picks, you're not trying to make, pick a perfect player every time. Otherwise, you, you will never get them. They'll be taken first overall. So, yeah, absolutely. It, the Red Wings have a lot to work with. And um, you know for a fact that they're going to be fixated on uh, on trusting their development team to to improve those attributes or several attributes if you go uh, by way of how Brad uh, handles things. So before we wrap up, uh, I want to thank both of you, not even just for coming on today. Um, Obviously, most people who listen to this follow Max uh, through Twitter and on The Athletic and Prashant on Twitter. Uh, you guys have both done phenomenal work. Max, uh, pumping out quality articles on no sleep and, <laughs> and no prepared words. And, and Prashant, uh, you constantly tuning and updating that model and, and putting that information out there for people to use. And I know you used that uh, really great web tool earlier to help people compare uh, prospects. Uh, so from us and from from all the the listeners and the people who follow you, thank you. Uh, please, for the love of all that is good, get some more sleep uh, before you start a 2020 analysis. Um, <laughs> we're going to be asking you to come on quite a bit more to talk about these guys. Uh, so yeah, thank you again, and uh, thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. Don't worry, the uh, data pool just finished, so I might just let that sit for the night. <laughs> open a open a bottle. <laughs> Welcome back. That was our interview, our second of a roundtable with uh, Prashant and Max, um, something that we were thrilled to do. Uh, they obviously bring a ton of expertise to the table, uh, Max being on the floor in Vancouver and Prashant uh, building and con- continually updating those prospect models uh, was such a great asset. So good to pick their brains as well. And of course, we're not they have no choice. They're coming back and we're going to be doing more of that. Um, let's talk about some other things that happened in the draft. Uh, P.K. Subban. Who? Yeah. Was well, he's this guy who plays for New Jersey now. Least yeah. fans, sorry, but there's more to for you to come or to come about you. Uh, PK Subban was dealt to the New Jersey Devils for two some somebody's and two two second round picks. Yeah, Jeremy Davies and Steve Santini. Steve Santini's 24 and not a prospect anymore. He might be capable of filling in in a bottom pairing role. Davies, um, NCAA defenseman, decent offensive instincts. There might be something there, but not of any real significance in terms of... They got nothing, but the big thing they did Two second rounds isn't isn't nothing. I mean, for a guy who's top three on almost every team. But anyway, the big thing they got was that cap space. Yeah, apparently it's because um, there's a heavy Matt Duchesne connection with Nashville. They needed offense... We've been talking all along about which defenseman will they trade for which forward. Well, in theory, they might have just traded P.K. Subban for Matt Duchesne. I am all for the big boy moves that GMs want to make. Yeah, but even though that was a cap dump, man, I have a 
hard time believing that was all they could get in return for PK Subban. Yeah, me I, too. I people are like, "Well, it was a cap dump." I'm like, "It's PK Subban." Are you and he's, kidding me? And he's only got three years left. So if you're a team in the window right now, that that's valuable, man. New Jersey just got Jack Hughes. They're getting a healthy Taylor Hall. Um, they are gonna be Hughes, Heischer, uh, Hall, PK Subban, and literally anyone else. Um, then that's your power play unit. Good luck, rest of that division. Yeah, that's gross. Um, oh, and they have Ty Smith coming. Don't forget about him. Toronto accomplished their cap dump. They traded uh, Patrick Marlowe at the steep price of a first-round pick to accompany him to Carolina. Conditional on Toronto making the playoffs. If not, the pick's deferred. Toronto's going to make the playoffs, so yeah, it's fine. That is correct. <laughs> it's it's for a 2020 first-round pick. Yeah, so and that it's everyone's like, that's too expensive. I'm like, they had to do it. They have to pay Janssen, they have to pay Kapanen. Those guys just got extended because they were able to make that trade. And Marner, this Marner saga is not going to end cleanly for them. That did seem expensive, though, for one year. Yeah, Dude, they're, de- they're I, in a my, bad spot. Dude, my, if, if you if you had the choice to pay a first-round pick to guarantee you keep your core... No, yeah, it's it's worth it for Toronto, but like I'm surprised if I was de- if I had found out they dumped Marlowe to Detroit for a second round pick, I'd have been thrilled. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure they didn't want to trade in division. No, I, I get that, and but my I'm not gonna lie, my immediate gut retra- uh, my gut reaction when I saw that trade go down was I was damn it, that should have been Detroit. Yeah, um, there was a lot more that happened, but we have a boatload of Patreon uh, comments, and I want to make sure that we get to all of them. Um, Any of them coherent? Oh, uh, some of them. <laughs> so Are uh, we coherent? <laughs> some of them. To our, <laughs> for those of you who are listening uh, for the first time, our Patreon supporters get their comments read out on air guaranteed during our overtime segment, in which we, we take comments, questions, uh, rude remarks from our fans, uh, mostly through Patreon, but sometimes through Reddit and Twitter as well, if we have the time. Rob Brasso says, hey guys, so this draft, first off, frickin' hilarious reaction you guys had when the wing selected cider. Uh, a plus for that one. So can you tell me why I shouldn't be upset that Detroit didn't trade up? Doesn't even sound like they attempted to, and we really could have used Byram. Not that I hate our pick, but come on. Number one D-man potential, and we don't swing a trade. On another note, Moritz Sider is my new favorite player. Thanks for the laughs, guys, and keep up the good work. I don't think Rob Blake could have sprinted any faster to the no. podium. He hasn't uh, ran that fast since he played. Here's the thing. Nobody above them would have accepted that trade because, like I said, one to five was a different tier. Uh, and two... <clears throat> The asset you get at six usually isn't worth giving up assets later on to just move up one or two spots. Uh, do I necessarily agree in this scenario with how I would value cider? No, but I know that go that breaks the philosophy, and so technically it is better to just hold on to your later assets. I mean, I don't know if I had the choice to give up uh, Johansson and cider to move up to grab Byram. Yes. But I, it. I don't think they would have taken the trade. But though. this could be the Chikrin all over again. Is out of Phil Peronik, Dennis Chalosky, Jacob Chikrin. Is Jacob Chikrin the single best player of the three right now? Yeah. But would you rather the two? And that might be what happens yeah. here. Is Sider and Johansson the the Chalosky Hironic 2.0? Possibly. And in which case, then yeah, you're looking at um quite reasonably 
good value. Uh, Kalen Wood says, well, boys, the pick is in, eh? I'm sure I share the same frustrations as most others do with the cider pick, but I just want to look forward since there's nothing we can do about it now. Is the fact that Stevie made the pick reducing the rage levels? Very much so, but still, with the players available, you have to at least have a little faith in the experts, which none of us fans are as a reminder, and uh, and who they take and why. My biggest concern right now is honestly for the young boys' mental health. This is absolutely going to be a shock of the draft and under the microscope of fans and beat writers everywhere, literally everyone will be covering and talking about it and how he was not someone uh, better. We are a fairly reasonable community here in the dub dub, but there are a lot of dum dums out there that will no doubt put their frustrations on the kid. No one deserves that. I hope he can take it all in stride and know that the true fans are here to greet him with open arms. Anyways, weird writing from the optimist side of things. Uh, weird writing from the optimist side of things. This is kind of nice. Maybe I'll have, I'll have to try this more often. Pitter patter. Very well said, Kalen. Could, legitimately couldn't have said it better. Um, Don Mitchell, who I believe is a new patron. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, I've been a casual listener for almost two years now and finally was able to become a patron. I love what, uh, all that you do and the quality of the podcast is great. Really does sound like friends hanging out and talking hockey. Don't get that <laughs> we here We fooled in them all. <laughs> uh, Don, thank you so much. Your support means the world and welcome to the dubbed up family. Uh, bear with me as I'm currently hung over and still drunk all at the same time, uh, from that tire fire of a draft. Uh, being within two hours of three USHL teams and seeing firsthand what Zegras and the like could do, uh, it really stings. Let's hope we have a good one and not another elite first-pairing D-man like Kindle or Smith. Yikes. Uh, you've asked quite a few of my uh, questions from Twitter. Oh, he's A7X Doomsday. And I don't want to drop the ball on my first official question, but here we go. What caused the biggest cry lately? The Russian 5 documentary? The Carey Price-Anderson moment? Robin Lehner's speech? Or this draft as a Red Wings fan? Thank you so much, guys. Happy to be aboard, Don. It's not the NHL awards. You're wrong. Uh, yeah, it's Carey Price. I don't know, man. Buddy, man. Seeing this, the Konstantinov story told on the Russian Five documentary, I cried. But children. Yeah. Ryan hates children, confirmed. Maybe. You heard it here first. Uh, Sam Shayer says, I'm in the minority of fans that like the cider pick. I have no objective support to base this on, but I can't shake the feeling he's going to be good. Plus, you can't argue with that smile. I'll trust what Eisenman's doing until I see evidence that these picks are busts. What are your thoughts on the wing strategy of loading up in defensemen this year? I know you guys were high on forwards, but it feels like Stevie's trying to set the team up for defensive success in the long term. Yeah, like I mentioned, like he assessed what we had. He's tired of this team being poor on defense since literally Nick Litson retired and he decided that they had to address it. So this is the best way. Somebody's got to gotta pan out. Yeah. Uh, Joe Falzone says, I absolutely love the Master Simone and uh, Grava picks. I look forward to learning why more at Ciders, the next Norris caliber deep prospect in the league. Using our only young uh, D&D prospects make your ideal future pairings based on their talents, talent levels and potential chemistry. Mine would be Mikhaisa Koronik, Chlosky Cider, Johansson Lindstrom. Um, okay, so I'm a hundred percent pairing um cider with Chalowski, so that's a good call. Heronic yeah. McIsaac does make yeah. a lot of sense. Um just because I like his potential more, I'm gonna go Tuomisto. Yeah. And Johansson, maybe. The second round guys. Yeah, Johansson's probably a good call there. Well, mind you. I'm sure some of the current guard in Detroit will kick around. But yeah. Unfortunately. We still have Trevor Daly on the third pairing. Danny DeKaiser's got a few years left on that contract. 
Uh, Matthew Tangsrud says, hey, guys, hope you're recovered from the trauma of pick six. Personally, be very excited to watch a Red Wings prospect develop in my own backyard here in Grand Forks. Hope Cooper Moore can become a legitimate top six defenseman in the future, but we'll take good care of him here and look forward to watching him play for one of the best programs in the world and one of the best arenas in the world here at uh, UND. Go Sue. Clearly, CB didn't think that the D-man prospect depth was up to par or didn't think that most of the ones who were ready in the system were likely to make an impact to the team. Any chance he tries to move any of them for other assets? Oh, yeah, you're going to see shakeups to come. There's going to have to be because they have so many <laughs> defensemen now. Yeah. Uh, Simon Anderson says, I was going to write about how this is the 2017 draft all over again and how disappointed I am, but this thread will probably have its fair share of that type of comments. So instead, I want to thank you guys for the draft coverage. I've never felt this hyped on a draft before, and I have you guys to thank for it. You certainly make it worthwhile being a Wings fan in trying times. Okay, I can't help myself. Why didn't Eiserman just take a first and second to move down? Arizona was sure willing to do that. Was he that sure that other teams were interested in picking side or top 10? Yeah, I think it was confirmed later that he wouldn't have made it past 10. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that because Anaheim, Vancouver, Buffalo pick forwards. Edmonton and Broberg had been linked for a week, um, if not longer. But you have to. You have now. To think. The, now he wasn't getting past eleven because there was a lot of rumors that I believe it was Philly was at that pick had had a lot of interest insider. So that makes sense. So but he Philly would have traded to move up, right? Like they traded to move back. Yeah, not likely. So yeah. if they, I, I still think had they traded to ten with Vancouver as rumored, they would have got him. Uh, enjoy your summer. By the way, Carter Guylander is a hidden gem in Eastside Hockey Manager. So that's always something. Hey, that's good. Uh, Garrett TV says, hey, gents, I'm going to be in Toronto from today through Wednesday, staying in the downtown area near the Annex and Chinatown neighborhoods. My question for you is, what am I drinking and where am I drinking it? Looking for something in the area that's off the beaten path and preferably not full of tourists. Bonus, beers are on me if you're in the city and want to grab a drink. Uh, I'll be the asshole wearing a Wings hat. Let's go Red Wings. Oh, man, if I wasn't at the busiest time of my life, I'd be there. Uh, where yeah. is he? Toronto. Toronto. Oh, I, um, I, man, I don't know a lot of good hole in the walls in Detroit. I'm, I'm still Toronto. always amazed by real Toronto? sports when I walk Toronto. in. Oh yeah, yeah. real is, real sports. If it's you're like, single, go to Cactus Club. Um, oh god, you the landing strip. Toronto, Toronto's genuinely an amazing city for great restaurants, great breweries. If you want to do a big tour, they have the uh, the, the the steam whistle tour. If you want something a little bit less touristy, legitimately anywhere. The city is chock full of amazing. Things. Okay, here's here's a restaurant recommendation that I have, not necessarily um, for the beer. I, I'm sure this is a thing everywhere, but the only one I know around here is in Toronto. Crystal and I went to a restaurant called Noir. It's literally oh, yeah. you eat in pitch black. Yeah. So it was it was actually really – it sounds dumb as hell, but it was actually really cool and really fun. Now, I don't know if that's something I do by myself, but yeah, no, it was, it was mega fun. And it was on Church Street, and literally there's not even a building. It's all underground. It's just this little set of stairs that comes up in a tunnel. It was, it was hmm. super cool. Yeah, if you got a lot of money to blow on steak, Harbor Sixty is pretty decent. I haven't been there in a few years. Jacob's but. also really good. Yeah. Uh, Evan Beckner says, hey, guys, had a good time watching you guys get gassed by dog farts all night. Yeah, man, those dogs, they they hadn't had the opportunity in years, and they nearly killed me. They they trained. They, they game day prepped. The best part that didn't happen on the stream at all. Ryan was so angry. 
with Ollie by the end of the night. Brian gets up to leave, walks across the room to Ollie, squats over him, farts right on the dog, and leaves. Brian hates children and Ollie, confirmed. He was decomposing in front of us. Uh, Evan continues to say, I've fallen in love with the first round pick. I was stunned at first at well, but as other teams started grabbing right-handed defensemen, it became apparent that Eisenman did what he had to do in order to land his guy, especially with Kenny only two picks away with a similar draft board. Despite all the media hullabaloo leading up to the draft, defensemen are still the hottest commodity. I'm all for Stevie stocking the cupboard on the back end. They've shown in recent years to have the highest return on value. I can picture five or so years down the road when the league is drooling over Detroit's defense prospects the way they do to Carolina now. Anyways, love the show and enjoyed watching you guys stare at your phones in disbelief all night. P.S. North American uh, Central Scouting had Cider at top at five, so props to them. Also, Greva is a Red Wing. Connor Jager says, hey boys, as more time goes by and my hangover subsides, I'm becoming more okay with Cider. Still upset about him at six, but clearly Eiserman is high on him and knew he wouldn't go out of the top 10, so he knuckled down and got his guy. I keep reminding myself to trust the Iser plan and hope he sees something inside her that none of us do. I feel like overall I would give this draft a B- for the wings, and at the very least, we now have a solid defensive pipeline. Thanks for all you do, and can't wait for Cider to prove us doubters wrong. Let's go Red Wings. Uh, Joseph Delia says, hey guys, I'm sure you'll break it down, so I'll keep it short. Would you rather have Zegris Bouchard or Zadina Cider? What a curveball, huh? Thanks, guys. Also, your two reactions are now reusable memes. Zegris Bouchard or Zadina Cider? Zadina Cider. I think Zadina is the best player of the lot, so I'll always take the best player and Cider's not. Z- I don't I don't think Cider's Bouchard, but I don't think he's like dramatically far behind. Zadina Cider, but not by a lot yeah. for now. And I would not be surprised if Zegris Bouchard blew him out of the water. Uh, Liz Barbudo says, how likely do you think it is that Cider will be in Grand Rapids next season? I'm hoping this pick is our version of Montreal's pick last year. Also, if this guy ends up working out, I'm going to be disappointed if one of the Detroit breweries doesn't make a Cider Cider. Oh, they absolutely will. Um, I don't give the odds of him being in Grand Rapids very high 20%. Yeah, I think the year after, though, it's almost guaranteed. It better be. If you pick a guy six overall and he's not at least in your AHL system after a year... We got bigger problems. Um, Jeff Chen says, guys, I haven't been this depressed since we drafted Rasmussen. Please make the pain go away. Hey, man, I hope the everything we talked about helped ease it a little bit. And for those of you who are still listening, you know us well. We don't pull punches. We don't mince words. If we are very firm in opinion, we deliver it. So we're not softening this to make you feel better. We genuinely feel... I mean, we, we, we gave the negatives, but we were also hopefully the positives that we laid out makes this feel a little bit better. Uh, Cameron Brown says, pretty excited for what's probably going to be the new longest episode. Yeah, you're totally right. Prashanth and Max are actually DMing us right now saying, you guys are still recording. Um, are they actually? Oh, and I love the draft picks too. Looking a little into Cider, I think we're going to love him. He's something this team just straight up doesn't have. A lockdown defender. I also hear that being a rookie in the DEL, he didn't see too much power play time, so I'm pretty hopeful that he could improve offensively. Although, honestly, with Ronick Chalosky, I'm not sure we have a need at power play quarterback. That's a great point that we didn't talk about. Um, other than Cider, I can't wait to see what sort of shenanigans Burton Greve will get up on the, get to on the ice. And if the LCA doesn't do a Cider deal for Cider's debut, I will be extremely disappointed. Uh, Nick... Toyas says, hey, gents, just remember something Brad said a while ago. Defensemen take 200 to 300 reps. Oh, that was me. Uh, two to 300 reps before we see their f- true full. Like hell, I said that. First. I said that. I will I will die on that hill. I was straight up quoting Bill Peters. I remember it. 
All right. Well, I, I mean, we both say it quite a bit. I thought he was saying on like the last episode. Oh, last episode. Yeah, because I brought this up like years ago. Oh, no. He said a while ago. He's probably talking about you. Uh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, you. sorry. Don't, sorry, don't sorry, you take credit away from me, Ryan. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is how I value myself as a person. Uh-huh. So that's a big surprise. Uh, <laughs> before we see their true potential, so let's be this kid's biggest fan. Sure, there's a better value at the pick, but we have no reason not to trust Eisenman in the scouting team. I'm excited to watch him and the other prospects on Friday and Saturday at the three-on-three tournament. The red and white game. Let's go, Red Wings. Rowan says, Hey, Dud Duds, Mo Mantha, Mo Cider, Mo Cups. Let's, oh my God. <laughs> if we didn't have to have a generic episode title for this, that absolutely would have been the episode title. Oh, well, we'll use it one day. Because yeah. um, I think it all started because they referred to Mo as, uh, referred to Cider as Mo in an Instagram post, and Anthony Mantha actually like commented on it in some capacity. I forget what he said, but uh, not sure if you've covered this or not, but everyone is clamoring for Eisenman to come back. And part of that is empowering him to make decisions. If Sider is his guy, then he takes his guy. This doesn't mean no one questions these decisions. And in this instance, it's more than fair to have a few questions given uh, who is available and how people valued certain prospects. I was shocked by the pick, but if you want the Eiser plan, this is the Eiser plan. Legitimately could not have phrased that better. It's true, but a lot of people were yelling at me when I was like giving any critiques of the pick because they're like, you got to trust Eisenman, man. I'm like, like every Evan said, I've seen Eisenman's first round draft history. If he has one flaw as a GM, this is it. It's very much in the realm of stuff you should be questioning about Eisenman. Uh, we're probably two years away from knowing if this was the right call at six, but I feel this is a better bet than Rasmussen at nine. Agreed. Uh, I guess what I'm trying yes. to say is I'm trying not to overreact to this draft, even though there are picks I would have done differently. It will be interesting to see how development camp plays out and if it will change opinions. I remember being a bit stunned by the Cholosky pick, but development camp reviews had me seeing things differently in a hurry. Jersey time. I noticed Vancouver will be wearing a patch to commemorate 50 years of not winning the cup. <laughs> of all the teams to not win a cup yet, who has the best jersey? One-offs included. I have the millionaires one ahead right now. Convince me otherwise. Oh, the um, best team to not win a cup. No, no, Jersey. Yeah, Jersey. Sorry. Golden Seals. Golden Knights. Ah, too yeah, soon. That's actually Way a really good too answer. Soon. Um, who else hasn't won a cup in the NHL? Man, if we, if Buffalo reverted to their original jerseys, they'd be up there. But they didn't. They have the stupid gray outlines on them, so they get bumped down. Um, who else hasn't won a cup? Vancouver, eh. I think I, I'm going to stick with the Golden Seals. Did Hartford ever win? Oh, I guess as, as Carolina. Carolina, the franchise yeah. won. Yeah. Uh, Advanced Water says, hello, Dub Dub. I just want to say thank you for making hockey interesting all year round. Before I found the podcast, I would watch Into Games and that was it, about it. But now I feel like I get the game so much better. What's good and what's bad? Not win and lose. Anyways, question time. Who's your favorite Red Wing to follow on Twitter slash Instagram, past or present? Johan Franz, and it's not close. No, it's definitely not close. When he's actively posting, it is the best. He's been radio silent for a bit now for obvious unfortunate reasons but man johan franzen instagram in his prime was the best part of the red wings he's hysterical the when um <laughs> when babcock went to toronto the giant babcock face blanket he bought for <laughs> nyquist <laughs> Oh my god! And then he kept taking Nyquist's car and putting funky color rims on it. Remember the neon green and neon pink? Rims? Yeah, he put the yeah the yeah. Nyquist rims. Oh it my wasn't god. just that he changed Nyquist rims on his car; he did it twice. Yeah, the pink and the green. Oh man! There's a video of Todd Pertu- them golfing, him golfing with Todd Pertuzzi, and Todd couldn't get out of the bunker. Like he just kept like duffing his shot. Yeah, I was like, that is the angriest looking man. <laughs> 
stuck in a sand bunker and he, Franz was just killing himself laughing. <laughs> I'm sure Todd Bertuzzi was pissed. Uh, Sean Stephen Cook says, so do the Wings have uh, all the offensive pieces they need? No. Uh, if you look at the theme of this draft, you'd be convinced that Stevie thinks we're good on scoring. Is that true? If not, what's a free agent that could fill in the holes? Duchesne? Uh, Duchesne, you know, we I don't can't... think that Stevie thinks that we're good on scoring. I think he thought that we were completely barren on defense. Which was true. Um, I do not love our offensive prospect system at all. I actually thought we were a little stronger on defense going into this draft in the pipeline, of course, lacking any impact guys. But hey, you build from the back end out. Look at St. Louis. Um, the thing is, there's a lot of potential up front, but huge question marks. Taro Hirose is not young for a prospect. Is he what he is? Or is there room for improvement there? Is Svechnikov going to be better or worse because of the knee? thing can he bounce back to where he was which wasn't a great so dean is the only one i'm willing to hang my hat on oh i'll hang my hat on valeno too valeno to me yeah yeah, valeno's worst case scenario is a 3c right now worst case um i i legitimately think valeno could be a 2c um zadina but here's the thing that's the thing with the ford group outside of zadina and valeno that's not not, good there's not anybody i'm willing to put a bet on no uh joseph craig says which would you have preferred doc or cider I would say Doc confidently. <sighs> Don't sit, answer this question from before the cider pick happened. I it, it was Doc. I very much talked myself into cider now, but yeah. I wasn't huge on Doc. So, like, honestly, where I had Doc ranked to cider, like, it wasn't a chasm. Um, I think I had him um, like 13 I, picks apart. Yeah. I think this I is had, a super interesting to draft or draft to look back on. In five years. Yeah. Where are they now kind of thing? Every draft's fun uh, for that. Clearly with the nature of this draft, might have to rethink draft lead up prep a little bit more next year. <laughs> yeah, oh, he meant sarcasm. He's got the biggest hype. <laughs> no, but honestly. Like, yeah, we're learning as we this might process have, goes along. We might have to do two per episode and just cover the entire top 30. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, I look over the list of guys Detroit picked up and asked, uh, did the guys even mention these? <laughs> Um, with like, Albin Grava, we did. Yes. He was one of our profiles. Uh, I did. I've made a point to bring up Moritz Sider. I brought up Moritz Sider as a guy. <laughs> Thankfully, I, we did I three think, mock drafts and he was in all of them. Yeah. So we I had think, our time. I think when I was speaking about him, I said there's a hype train about him. Yeah. He, he was the draft's not, biggest riser even before Detroit picked him at six. Yeah. Um, Adam Flett says, well, that's done. Big haul for sure. Most of us think we passed on too much talent, but time will tell. There's some good value in there, so a mixed bag, I guess. My question, though, any word on coaches? We're light on coaches just now and wondered if there's any rumblings or if you guys had preferred choices. A German, maybe? No reason, just a thought. Um, Listen, man, Ralph Kruger went to Buffalo already. I know he's not German. Shut up. Uh, Joseph Fournier says, my friends, that was your best live stream, A-plus all around. Man, I thought it was a terrible live stream because we were (laughs) – the the stunned silence lasted so long. Uh, The pick stunned me as well, but I've come around to it. Mo Sider is going to be an elite shutdown defender and allow the Ronix and Chaloskis to be freed up offensively. The only player I'm terribly not disappointed about passing on is Zegris – or I'm terribly disappointed about passing on is Zegris. Cousins and Pod will not have the same impacts, and I've never been high on Caulfield's one-dimensional game. We should take our own advice and not let ourselves be married to prospects. Make no mistake, though, Eisenman gave us the hold my beer moment of the draft, but we'll be asking for more cider in no time flat. Mo cider, hashtag cider house rules, which leads me to my next unpopular point. So brace yourself, Brad. 
Gone are the days of drafting best player available. Look at the teams who have to shed salaries for a fraction of what they're worth. The salary cap space is a, com- uh, is a commodity. The trades are not always there. Eisenman understands this better than any of us and has a track record in Tampa of taking whomever he wants, wherever he wants, to take them within reason. Each player he took this year went within 20 or so picks of where they were projected. I don't think so. No, two of me still was uh, by... I said there were some rankings that had him in the second round. Most had him in the third. That was a pretty big reach. Uh, so if you're going to split hairs, then you might as well have the central scouting agency assign players to teams for the first three rounds before letting GMs pick. Man, did he read Max's brain? Uh, let's let Eisenman do his thing. He hits more often than he misses. Also, from a friend of mine at the New York Post, some teams were wary of drafting out of the U.S. and TDP because it's hard to properly evaluate talent when they're literally playing on a junior all-star team for a whole season. Food for thought. I've seen that, but I think if you're a talented talent evaluator, you can see past it. That's part of scouting. Also, it takes really good players to make a team really good. Uh, I freaking love you guys. Thanks for helping me make this season more bearable to stomach. I'm excited for the Iser plan. Uh, Holy crap, look at the draft hall. Big defenders with skill and hockey IQ. Master Sniper, Master Simone. Soderblom and Johansson are Hakan Anderson specials. Connor Moore was a stud in high school. Uh, Chuchiev could be a Datsuki and steal it, and we got the Greve train. So, so much to look forward to. Sorry so long. Stay fresh, my friends. That last paragraph, if you want optimism. So many title possibilities with this draft class. Into my veins. Um, but getting back to your point about best player available. Oh, I could not disagree more strongly with that. <laughs> look, hey, two teams just unloaded massive contracts in the last couple of days. Always take best player available. Most of these guys outside of the top three in most drafts are not playing in the NHL for at least a year. You have time to adjust your roster however you need. David Clarkson's been traded twice, for God's sakes. <laughs> uh, Mark Burnham says lots of comments already, so I'll keep it short. I like Cider, but my biggest concern is that the pass on Zegris or any other elite playmaker at 6 fails to maximize Zadina's value. Zegris or Zadina alone are great, but the combination would likely have been greater than the sum of the parts. Happy with Cider, but yeah, missed opportunity. Zegris will be the guy I'm watching almost as closely as Cider. Yeah. Stan Olson says, hey guys, hope all is well. I guess I should probably comment on the draft. The Avs getting Byerman Newhook is pretty scary. Props to our guys for staying true to their board. I bet we see him in the NHL in 2020. Thanks for all the hard work you all do when it comes to following the draft. The 2020 class looks like it's going to be loaded. Matt M says our right side D is going to be a force in a few years with Ronick Sider and Tuomisto. Kwas says, holy off the board, Batman. You guys alluded to it often that uh, from after the top five to the mid-teens, that gap was so small. How, how much of a gap do you think there was between Zegers and Cider? Also, if you guys have never visited Philly, you need to. Granted, I have many friends here. Okay, first, I visited Philly. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. It's phenomenal. I saw people I hated didn't like Philadelphia. They don't like Philadelphia sports or their fans, but Philadelphia as a city is fantastic. It exploded this week. What? What? Did you see the oil refinery that caught fire? No. Yeah. Brad I made a tweet about it. Oh, you did. That was in Philly, wasn't it? That was Philly. Um... The gap between Zegers and Cider, admittedly, in my head, was large. Er? Yeah. Larger than I would have Listen, been able to Listen, if you're justify. shocked, it was large. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Phil Gastineau says, hey, boys, my biggest issue with the Red Wings in the past three years was our lack of team identity. I think it was pretty clear in the draft on what identity Steve Eisman wants to give our team. Every prospect report for our D starts with high IQ and great breakout pass. Combine that with Larkin and Athanasiu, and we have a fast team that's getting good uh, get good at getting the puck out of our zone and good on the rush. Also, a great that's a great read. This team now has an identity. It's no longer a mismatch of this player who can do this thing well, and that's all we have on that line. This defense will move many pucks. Yes. Uh, Marissa, we just need to get rid of every current defenseman first. 
Marissa says, has your faith in Eisenman cracked after this draft? I trust Stevie, but of course he's not infallible, and I don't want to jump through hoops to defend decisions that are obviously questionable. He made it very clear that his draft strategy was best player available, not position in need, but it definitely seems like he was prioritizing need with all these D, especially with Sider at 6. So what's your stance on the Eiser plan right now? Personally, I'm remaining optimistic because even though it's baffling that they targeted Sider as their guy with so many other high-level prospects available, the fact that they saw him as a must-have tells me that they see a lot of potential. Maybe the rest of us aren't seeing at this point. Or do you chalk it up to a weak first draft? Um, He's never been good at drafting in the first round based on his past history. Like That's not a strength of his, and he still was building cup contenders. So my faith in the eyes are Trust the process. Yeah, it's not shaken. He's still the man. You... Someone, Rowan said it, you want the Iser plan, this is the Iser plan. Flip side of the coin, has never and still does not make him immune to criticism. If you want to criticize this, there's a lot for you to go on. Just understand that it's very, very early. You can have your objections like we do, but there's also a lot of positives, and he has he made a lot of great points. Man, I almost want to criticize him more for not for not talking about Detroit Red Wings legend Patrick Marlowe today. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, last one, Bama Red Wings fan says, if Cider would have been taken at the same time as our other recently drafted defensemen, where would he stack up, and how would you rank them? Um, well, given what we know now, because like Heronic was a late second round pick when we got him, and like now he's probably the best prospect we have in the pipeline, not named Zadine or Valeno. I don't know. It's there's such different players. Heronic and Chaloskier are going to impact the game way more offensively than Sider likely ever will. But he'll impact him defensively way more than they ever will. The benefit in Sider versus Chaloski and Heronic is because they are so different. Um, where I it's hard because he hasn't done anything yet, and Heronic and Chaloski have. Where the like where they should end up was with Sider as the best one. That's, that should happen. Right now, guys I would have the most confidence in, say, playing on a top pair, would go Ronick, tied between Sider and Chalosky, and then whoever else. The massive void. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. That is our draft recap episode. Our midweek episode is going to be our last uh, midweek episode up until the new season. We're going to have Scott Wheeler on to talk about uh, – his take on the Red Wings picks and talk a little bit more about the draft. Uh, again, thank you to Prashanth and Max. I know we had to record and post this late, but so we can get Max from across the continent and have him take a nap. Uh, we were all excited to record this episode. It's one of our longest ever. Hope you guys enjoyed it. All your comments about how this draft review helped you uh, means the world to us. So thank you all. If you have any feedback for us on how to do this differently or how to get better, please send it our way. It might take us a while to actually read things. If we didn't get to your comments on Twitter or Reddit, we'll get to it in the future. This is obviously one hell of an episode. Thank you, everyone, to listen. Thank you, everyone, to, uh, who followed along on Twitter uh, through every episode through the draft coverage. All of our Patreon supporters, our name-level sponsors, Sky Carcass, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Don Mitchell, new name-level sponsor, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis, and Hannah Lee. Thank you all so much. I'm going to go take a nap. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.